Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast contains coarse language, strong thematic themes, talk of history and context, terrible imitations of Hollywood figures, and an unbashed love of Hollywood's golden age. It also contains the ramblings of an unstable dork who has too much time on his hands. Listener discretion is advised. And now, on with the program. Okay, Zach, you're on the air. Yesteryear, Ballyhoo, review. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Many great sights await inside the picture palace of the past, and we have plenty of ways to talk about the things inside. So hurry and get your seats. Tonight, the Ballyhoo takes you to Gay Paris by way of Heavenly Hollywood with a whimsical tour through the streets of the Momar District. Of the many sights you'll see is that of the Ball de Paradis, where upon stepping in, though, you may find yourself subject to a raid, for there is a dance there, a forbidden dance. One where skirts fly high, and the one that would inspire the title for tonight's show. That's right. It's time to sing and dance the night away with Frank Sinatra, Shirley MacLaine, Louis Jordan, and Maurice Chevalier <laughs> as we dive into 1960s Can-Can. So see the show and stay behind for a discussion to delight the earbuds. Fabulous flight, a trip to the moon on gossamer wings. Just one of those things for you. Do something to me that nobody else can do.
You look like a broken umbrella. Oh, come, come. I'm your lawyer. You can talk to me. Where have you been? Now, now, my dear. I brought bail. I'll have you out of here in ten minutes. Twelve hours! Twelve hours you let me sit here. Where were you at four o'clock this morning? I sent a messenger to your apartment. But I was there all the time. I didn't hear a thing. Now, you know I'm a very sound sleeper. You were with some silly little model? You know, you are a lousy lawyer and an unreliable lover. I am not a lousy lawyer. But I do have an idiot for a client. Putting on a, an illegal performance before a police court judge who's sitting there roosting right at a ringside table. And you knew he was a judge because Claudine told you he was. Well, he lied to me. So what? So you've known liars before? What made you so gullible all of a sudden? His big brown eyes? No. I believed him because I thought he liked me. Oh, you did. So that's what's been going on behind my back. Oh, it was business. I hate him. It was business. Shrewd business. May cost you 10,000 francs, plus losing your license for about two weeks. 10,000? It's pretty expensive Google eyes you've been rolling. Now that you've seen the show, we will get to the talk of the day. Yes, in 1960, uh, we were seeing the full emergence of television with the studios all in on spectacle to subsidize the loss of an audience. Can Can was one of many to come through the pipeline at this time, but unlike others, it carries with it a rather intriguing production story that caused international upset. It would also prove to be in tandem with the full emergence of the Frank Sinatra reign of the 60s as it fell into release the same year as a certain film involving a certain rat pack. Uh, it's a film that also proves old stories of Frank's dominance in the film business and the subsequent diva antics told in legend. But what, if anything, does Can Can have to offer the world today for the musical and for star diva antics such as Sinatra's? Today, we shall have a return guest here to bring forth knowledge on that subject. Now, he is a former guest who has knowledge of Transylvanian counts and free French resistance fighters, but it is only matched by his passion for song and for forbidden dances. Please welcome back to the show, Mr. Matt Willicks. Thank you. Matt. Thank you, Mr. Zach Eastman. Mr. Zach Eastman. That's my father, except it's not. <laughs> He's Mr. His name is not Zach. <laughs> His name is Mr. Eastman, though. <laughs> Mr. Eastman. Mr. Eastman, your son is annoying me. Can you please send him home? Um, no. So um, uh, before we get to the show, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, so we watched a film today called Can Can, which uh, consists of... Uh, uh, powering through against censorship, uh, mm -hmm. has dummies being tossed around, and meta humor. And my question is, why are you a bad friend for not telling me about this film years ago? <laughs> okay, well, uh, <laughs> with with your extensive knowledge of classic film, oh, I'm don't make this about me. <laughs> uh, that maybe this didn't come across your radar before. Um, it's funny because like. There seems to be this perception in in some cases that I know everything about this era in Hollywood. I don't think anybody does because there's too much shit going on at once. Yeah. Well, to be fair, mm -hmm. uh, I haven't really talked about this film with anyone before. Mm. Um, no one, I no one has ever brought it up, um, even in film school. Like no one. No one had known about it. No one really talked about musicals in film school, really. That's a it, maybe here and there, but it wasn't. It wasn't a hot topic, you know. Yeah, and um, no, a hot topic is a Tim Burton store. It's not a musical, right? <laughs> right. Um, 
Sorry for that. Now, um, you, um, you, you, you've technically brought the first full-fledged musical adaptation to the show. I'm proud of that. Um, we did talk about a musical prior with Pam Munter. We talked about Young at Heart with Frank Sinatra. But oh. it's a musical designed specifically for the movies, whereas this one is a Broadway adaptation. Right. Um, and within that comes a lot of baggage. And I guess I, I should ask what your experience is with golden age Hollywood musicals in general. Um, I watched a lot of them, uh, growing up. Mm. Um, my mom was a big fan of musicals because her mom, my grandmother was a big fan of musicals. So it just went on down the line. Yeah. Pass um, it on. Yeah. Yeah. And can can was one of the ones that my mom was watching one day and I sat down to watch with her. So on VHS television, uh, I think it was taped off of TV. Um, it wasn't till I was older. I saw a copy of can can on VHS and like, so the, the version I grew up with was a a TV cut Mm -hmm. version. Um, which main which which given our conversation earlier today means that there's certain sections of this film that are not present in the yeah. TV guide. And and even um the VHS, the official VHS I bought later when I was older, uh-huh. um doesn't have scenes that we saw today. Really? On the 20 on the whatever. Uh the, well the is this an anniversary disc. Or? Yeah, so for for uh for exposure on this, um there were digital ways to watch this film. But yeah. Being that you suggested this, I I try to get a physical copy where I can. Yeah. I figured this would only be on DVD, so I went to Amazon, and sure enough, it's part of 20th Century Fox's cinema collection, or I guess Marquee Musicals is their label for this one, where they went all out during the early 2000s of preserving their library and providing what amounts to collector's editions yeah. of their films. Charlie's Aunt. Uh, Jack Benny's uh, film over at 20th, one of the two he made over at 20th Century has one of these. It's not a musical, so it's under the Cinema Classics banner. Oh, okay. But it contained like reproductions of lobby cards and studio memos, et cetera, et cetera, um, and special features attached to it. In the case of this one, this is a two disc set. Yeah. Um, which and, is crazy, I think. And there was a restoration done with this. Mm-hmm. And there is a disclaimer up at the front of the DVD that I was hoping I wouldn't see, which is. Due to the materials available, we are presenting the best possible quality available of this film. And th- there there lies in a, uh, a dilemma uh, in this discussion because we aren't just going to be talking about musicals. We're going to be talking about um, a studio that used to exist. Now, Matt, have you ever heard of 20th Century Fox? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, could you explain to children who don't know what that is what that is? <laughs> If 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 we're talking to eight year old me, it's the Star Wars studio. Oh, okay. <laughs> if we're talking to my nephew, who's now fifteen right now and rebelling against his parents by listening to this show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean it used to be a movie studio. Yes, and what is it now? <laughs> it's a. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a, a money grubbing whore for Disney. <laughs> For, for for Disney, <laughs> it is a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Corporation, yes. a, uh, a a uh, jointed arm of the st- of this larger studio. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the the legacy of 20th Century Fox and preserving their materials is of concern here today because when that label comes up in any case, it tells me that they missed the boat on a proper 4K restoration at a certain point because of deteriorating materials. Yeah. Um, now, within the case of a movie musical like this, it's very surprising, especially from 1960. I would have assumed, especially given how this film didn't have the same reception as other films, that there might actually be pristine qu- prints available because they weren't played as much. Right, right. But apparently not. There are a couple of things that may lead into why that exists, but more importantly, this film has a lot of history attached to it for a film that doesn't get talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, And as far as movie musicals and 20th Century Fox are concerned, 20th Century Fox, during the 40s and 50s, thrived on musicals. That was where their bread and butter really came from. Uh, Betty Grable, Alice Faye, these are the stars that would rake in the money for the studio that would then subsidize other projects. Um, uh, one of the books that I finally got to in preparation for this was Scott Iman's book on 20th Century Fox. And the story, about, there's stories in there about how some of their musical stars, when they tried to transition them into other stuff, uh, in the case of Betty Grable going over to Noir with I Wake Up Screaming, that it didn't succeed because they were expecting a musical. So 20th Century Fox has a niche in this category. And by the time we get to Can Can, Daryl F. Zanuck is already out of the studio at this point. Uh, the legendary Daryl F. Zanuck will be discussed on another film, presumably. Um, the uh, So right now we have Jack Cummings as your lead producer on this film. Um, and uh, uh, the, the, the impression that I get of this film is that it is a... Uh, one of many attempts to steal the audience that's going to television back into theaters. And they go all out with stars, color, and widescreen presentation, specifically Todd A.O. 70 millimeter, um, which I guess there was, I, I've, I've always gone under this impression that it's just CinemaScope or VistaVision and whatnot, but there are other processes that were finding their stride. And the, I looked a little bit into the Todd A.O. process, and the, the the best summation that I got was through Wikipedia, which I don't normally like to go to, but here it is. The Todd A.O. process uses two separate film stocks. A 65-millimeter negative is used during production and then used to produce the 70-millimeter positives for distribution. The sprocket hole perforations on the two are the same, and the positive uh, positives are printed using contact printing with negatives centered on the larger 70-millimeter film. Contact printing was used on the prints that were to be a double system using a separate synchronized 35 millimeter full coat magnetic film for the six soundtracks that were attached to this thing. So in addition to the 70 millimeter film for the picture itself, this format originally shot before Can Can when they were doing things like Oklahoma. Uh, They originally shot it at 30 frames per second before moving into the 24 frames per second. Prior, it was because the need of the conventional versions at 24 frames per second, every scene of the former film was shot twice in succession, once on the Todd AO and then once in 35 millimeter cinemascope. So they were doing this twice. Wow. Um, Now, thankfully, they got this limited to one because the star of this film would not have allowed that. (laughs) (laughs) There are reports of him 
uh, seeing two different cameras for this kind of process and saying, I didn't sign up to do two films. Well, he, I think his company helped produce the Can Can as mm-hmm. well, right? Yes, they did. So he yeah. did. He did have some, uh, just not besides his star clout. He did have some power. Yeah, we should talk a little bit about Frank Sinatra and some similar to some of the stars. They're so legendary. No, no, that's Bing. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Which you got it wrong. <laughs> You messed up on <laughs> digital wax. <laughs> um, no, it, no, let, no. Let it live forever. No, um, Frankie has such a large legacy that he's he's one of many elements of this film. And to do a biography on Frank takes an entire fucking yeah. heavy load. But at this point, he had already resurged into the public consciousness. There was this down period where things were not going right for him. He was punching photographers left and right, not not left and right. Uh, but he did just, punch just on the left. Yeah, just on the <laughs> <laughs> Is this cat serious? No, no, Mr. Sinatra, please. He, he's don't kill him, please. Don't send Momo over to him. Yeah. Um no, uh he had already resurged after a very bad down spell in his career. Partially in thanks to film because of From Here to Eternity, you win the you win that Oscar, you're suddenly back on top of the world, a number one king of the hill, top of the heap. Uh, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Give me more royalties um, for my dead for my dead body in the ground. Um, so by this point, he has enough clout to dictate what goes on in his films, and what's more, he's coming out of. A, st- a system that once thrived on the contract and you were an employee of the studio. I think he was at the height of his power too, early mm-hmm. 60s, right? Yep. Yeah. 1959 when they're producing this, this is at the height of him also. Sir, um, he was part of this um, pack. Um, the mob? Uh, of, well, <laughs> well. <laughs> there are so many allusions to the notion that he was very good friends with Sam Momo Giancano and Bugsy Siegel. Uh, but then there are other accounts that say that those are exaggerated and that he just knew of them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're familiar with them on a basis that was strictly, hi, Frank. Hi, Momo. Okay, goodbye. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, and uh, and the only one who could probably get away with making fun of him for that would be Don Rickles because he did it openly right, more than yeah. once. Um, but uh, Frank at this point, though, was, he was performing a lot in Vegas, too. Um there is a, actually a lot of connection here to not just the production of this film, but also, strangely enough, to the production of Ocean's Eleven, um, which he made in 1960 um, that was actually a very big hit, um, despite the fact that it's not as good as the remake that came out all, all those 40 years later. Um, needless to say, though, he is able to control his circumstance he is a commodity that people want in their movies and their nightclubs on their records so he's kind of dictating stuff and the production of oceans 11 and this run in tandem in the respect that frank called the shots in places he probably shouldn't have on a film set (laughs) um one of them was in casting for the female lead of the film of uh of simone pistache i uh wasn't Marilyn Monroe offered and she turned it down. Marilyn Monroe was offered and she turned it down. But there's also a story. There's stories attached to this. So Can Can as a musical um, was one of the last big hits for a little known composer named Cole Porter. Um, Uh, Yeah, you never heard of him, right? 
he's very delovely. If you haven't heard of he's him, he's delovely. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a nice way of saying he's ugly? No. No, that's a song that he did. No. Um, no. Um, Porter's musicals prior to this had actually been kind of dipping in reception and um, response on Broadway to Broadway audiences. And he actually latched onto this story, which was presented to him by A. Burroughs. Um, and... The sense that I got was that Porter wanted to attach himself to a story surrounding censorship because he himself had been the subject of censorship yeah. in his songs. We're going to talk about one of those songs that encountered that kind of censorship because <laughs> it just doesn't hold up. Um, but uh, needless to say, though, Can Can was a big hit on stage. Now, Fox picked up the rights, but they had learned previously from another musical that they didn't want to make this film too soon, not just because the show was still on stage, but because the film was still on stage. If they made it too soon, they'd incur a fine. They didn't want to repeat that because they didn't want to spend a lot of money because they're competing with television. So this film was actually pushed and delayed and delayed. Monroe, it seems like, according to the behind-the-scenes featurettes on this, was attached for as long as they could. Yeah. So I think at some point she's just like, no, yeah. this pass. But <laughs> the casting of Shirley MacLaine comes from Frank Sinatra's insistence. Yeah, she was part of the Rat Pack. Yeah, I, I heard one of the documentaries on the Rat Pack say she was the mascot of the Rat Pack, yeah, which I'm like, yeah. that seems like a denigrating way to describe Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> uh, Shirley MacLaine has been discussed before within Ballyhooish terms because she was not only a star of the Children's Hour, but she got her start in film with Alfred Hitchcock in The Trouble with Harry. Um, and uh, but she had come off the stage, so he, she had some experience. And what she ended up having to do for Can Can, I found fascinating because she's basically having to carry the load of two different stars from the original musical. Um, the original musical had, amidst its, it had its female lead, um, and it also had a dancing lead. Um, so. Gwen Verdon kind of steals the show from the woman playing Simone. And McLean has to carry the luggage of both of those talents. And we watched the film together today in, in the proverbial Batcave. Yes. And damn it if she doesn't pull that off beautifully. Yeah. That's dancing that you'd expect her to have training for for years. Yeah. Well, she I mean, she danced when she was a kid. Yeah. So she had experience of some sorts but not to this degree like she wasn't right, being right. tapped for this on the regular right so my my presumption when it comes to the way we perceive frank's decision to cast her is that this is actually one of the positive things he does yeah um one of the negatives is that they arrange schedules around him um, and this film has quite an interesting little production history. So we'll set up the scene here. Um, we start seeing a lot of activity for this starting on January 19th, 1959. You have Hermes Pan, the choreographer, checking into the lot to confab with Jack Cummings on directing Can Can. At this time, the hoped cast for still includes Marilyn Monroe. Um, everybody else apart from McLean is basically already locked in as this is our wish list. And they get three out of their four. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, because Louis Jordan and Maurice Chevalier are also attached to this at some point. Maurice. 
<coughs> Don't worry, worry, we'll get to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, full disclosure, I'm not trying to make fun of the French people. I am making fun of Marie Chevalier, which uh, for for some might be the same thing. <laughs> Um, if, I thought you were just doing a really bad French accent. No, no. Have you? Ever, it, it, it always goes back to History of the World Part 1, where you have Madame Defarge going, um, we are so poor, we do not even have a language. Just this <laughs> stupid accent. And one of the guys gets up and goes, that's right, and we all talk like we're Maurice Chevalier. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no. But uh, he also has a very distinctive accent. He doesn't have Boyer where he's like, come with me to the Casbah. Uh, <laughs> Charles, stop eating the mic. <laughs> you imagine him doing ADR sessions. He's going to cut. That sounds like something else now. Cut. Charlie, cut. stop sucking stop on the it. microphone. <laughs> we know you're in love with it like you are with every woman, but this is not a woman. This is a piece of equipment. <laughs> um, now, the original director they were actually negotiating with was George Cukor, uh, noted director of the Women Gaslight. Uh, original director of Gone with the Wind before Selznick said, you're out! Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> Get in, Victor! Um, <laughs> and um, so they, they reached out to him and they negotiated with him for, it seems like, a little bit, but the director they ended up um, residing with was Walter Lang. Um, Lang had um, a, a sturdy reputation. Um, one of the most big name uh, productions you'll remember him for is The King and I, the original 1956 uh, version. Uh, he also did State Fair. Um, he worked as far back as 1925. Can Can is his third to last film. His last film was Snow White and the Three Stooges, which I've never seen and want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This came after a big Three Stooges resurgence, uh, by the way. So, um, But yeah, Lang... Uh, ultimately becomes the attached director. Um, and then the casting starts, they start seeking out their cast. Maurice Chevalier gets set for Can Can as per variety. Uh, not too long after his conf- confirmation, they have a report from Variety by Amy Archard uh, that says Maurice Chevalier had to cancel 10 concerts at $5,000 per night plus percentage to do Can Can. Really? Now, you might be wondering, well, how could some guy I've never heard of command $5,000 a night? Well, I guess we'll have to Tarantino this and take you back to the life story of one Maurice Chevalier. <laughs> Are you ready for the life of the biggest stereotype in French history? I'm buckled in. Um, so he was born on September 12, 1888 in Paris to a French house painter and a lace maker. Uh, his father... Uh, massive in alcohol, deserted the family, leaving mother and child def- children to fend for themselves. He dropped out of school at the age of 10 to pursue acrobatics, but came upon an injury that dashed that dream. And then he worked as a carpenter apprentice, an electrician, a printer, and a doll painter. Huh. That's not, and that's, I don't say that for, for humor. That's got to take some talent yeah. to paint a doll. S- steady hand. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you've got to be able to like... Mm-hmm. Get the iris and the eye ring mm-hmm. and whatnot. Not like Barbie dolls, by the way. We're talking like earlier. Dolls. Yeah, yeah, hand painted. Yeah, truly yeah. hand painted. Yeah, yeah. Before it became a Mattel factory. <laughs> um, now he ended up working at a mattress factory too. And one day, while he was daydreaming, his finger was crushed by a machine, which forced him to stop working there. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Do you think he was daydreaming of being in Can Can one day? <laughs> 
Maybe not yet. N- not yet, no. He was daydreaming <laughs> about something. Maybe he was dreaming about uh, if nightingales could sing like you, and then they'd sing much better than they do. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but uh, no, he recovered from this finger smash and began singing in 1900 at a cafe nearby. And singing three octaves higher than he should have, he sang Vla Le Crequant, which I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Any French listeners want to send back their proper pronunciation, I will gladly insert it in this show. Um, he continued singing there until spotted by a member of a theater troupe, and that theater member suggested he try out for a musical. Bang. He gets it, and then he begins to make a name for himself as a singer in France from there. He then teams up with Freyel, uh, but her alcohol abuse took a toll on their partnership. Um, at this time, he became addicted to cocaine. <laughs> Oh, a habit that he was able to kick while in a PW POW camp during World War One. By the way, wow, yeah, he um in World War One his earliest experiences he was wounded by shrapnel within weeks of starting his service, and he was released from the POW camp through the intervention of the King of Spain, who was a great admirer of Mistinguet, uh, who was his other partner prior to the war. So love saved Maurice Chevalier. So in turn, he sang about it. (laughs) (laughs) Post-war, he develops hit songs out of Paris, such as Valentine. Uh, He even appears in Charles Chaplin's film, A Woman of Paris, which is a a, a film in Chaplin's filmography that is decidedly not a comedy, doesn't feature the tramp. It's much more of a melodrama kind of piece. Um, He then makes his feature film debut within the arrival of sound in 1928, Innocence of Paris. That's when he finally makes the jump over to Hollywood. He signs a Paramount contract, and he becomes fucking famous. <laughs> <laughs> he has hits with the Love Parade, the Big Palm. He gets a, he gets an Oscar nomination for two of for both of these films for Best Actor. Um, the Big Pond, by the way, produced two big hits for him. Um, uh, a new kind of love, which you kind of heard a little bit of the lyrics of, not just here, but in our Marx Brothers episode when we talked about uh, the Maurice Chevalier imitation scene in Monkey Business. Yeah. Um, the other one is L- Living in the Sunlight, Loving in the Moonlight, which, um, as we all know, is Tiny Tim's swan ma- like masterpiece oh, when yeah. it comes to singing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, featured on SpongeBob. It all starts with Chevalier. Hmm. Um, he became Paramount's number one box office attraction and at that time was the highest paid star in Hollywood. Wow. People loved Chevalier. Number one was Chevalier at Paramount. Number two were the Marx Brothers, which is funny when you consider that they take a minute to make fun of uh, Chevalier, not just in Monkey Business, but in the promotional short House of Shadows, yeah. where they're all doing a Marie Chevalier imitation. Um, the only one of which who gets it close to right is Harpo, and it's because he's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, But he returned to France in 1935 after a disagreement over star billing at MGM for a film called The Man from the Folies Bergère. Uh, then during World War II, things get complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Uh, yeah. During World War II, he stuck to the free zone of France, of the south of France, with his Jewish wife, uh, Nita Raya. Um, the war goes on. Upon the liberation of France, he is accused of collaboration. He had been named in a list of French collaborators in 1942. He was acquitted by a French court. Uh, there are stories in which he seemingly recuses himself of any collaboration because he refuses to enter the political sphere of this situation. Um, He would refuse to perform on certain conditions based on it. So it seems like 
even though he was accused of it and there's a perception of it, it seems like he wasn't guilty of that. But by the time he's acquitted, the damage had already been done. Right. Um, and so he was actually refused travel visas for many years. There's another partial reason for that. Uh, in 1944, he took part in communist rallies. Uh, and um, we all know what happens when you're a communist, Willix. You know what happens, right? Yeah, no. You get blacklisted. Oh, yeah. Blacklisted. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a metal band. I was I was trying to come up with a really good joke, and <laughs> so then the, I just came up with no. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. That's still a good joke because <laughs> it can lead because it can lead into something very dark and insidious. No, um, no, uh, uh, yeah. He he participated in a communist rally, and he had signed something called the Stockholm Appeal, which this gets him blacklisted completely in 1951. But McCarthyism, as we all know, kind of dwindled and uh, yeah. disappeared because um, McCarthy lied. Uh, right. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that people took their lives and lost their livelihoods because of this senator, but what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, he is allowed to reenter the country in 1954. Which is good because he's making he's making tours around Paris and whatnot. So now he can come back for a full tour of America. Uh, amid his return to America, he is also cast in the films Love in the Afternoon and Gigi. And amid the success of Gigi, he receives an honorary Oscar for his lifetime of service to the film industry. Uh, then he gets cast in Can Can. Now. He's also in that film with Louis Jordan, who apparently was a holdout like up until the last minute. Like oh, really? there were reports that said like they finally signed him. I don't know. I couldn't find the specific reason yeah. as to why he was like refusing to do it. All the reports said is that they're eyeing him. He won't do it even though his schedule would permit it. Won't do it, won't do it. Okay, he's doing it. <laughs> huh. I'm wondering if it's a situation where Louis Jordan was not wanting to fall into stereotype casting. Maybe. It's possible. I mean, like, it, like my first reaction when I saw Louis Jordan in Gigi and then this is French Sean Connery. He has the look of Connery. Yeah. But not the the brogue. If you right. Um, so um, uh, he, but yes, he gets cast in it. Um, we Let's move ahead a little bit in 1959. May 22nd, um, we have uh, Walter Lang confirmed to direct, and they're seeking McLean based off of Sinatra's insistence. Um, and on the 27th of May, Shirley McLean admits she's finally doing the thing which I trained all my life for, dancing. So she went into training for Can-Can uh, before the cameras were supposed to hit uh, the ground floor running on July 18th. Um, they arrived um, into the pre-production matters with Jack Cummings arranging the can-can schedule so that Frank Sinatra's scenes weren't due until August. So everything else was filmed prior so that Frankie could just fuck around in Vegas, I suppose. <laughs> uh, or do something. He may have been on another yeah. film, you know, too. It's highly possible. Then, this is what's interesting, too. Uh, uh, a mere 21 days later, there's a report that Sammy Davis Jr. was in talks to perform a specialty number in Can Can, which we missed out. That's right. <laughs> we missed out. <laughs> I don't know what he would have done. Yeah. I don't know how they would have included him in there. Unfortunately, though, because it's Sammy Davis Jr. at this point before an Ocean's Eleven breaks out, my assumption is, is that he would just be relegated to a specialty number 
with no distinguishing character whatsoever. Yeah. That's my fear. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, Fox was a studio that, at least under Xanax regime, Xanax regime tried progressive techniques. He let, this is this is a studio where Xanax literally for the film No Way Out was just like, I want Poitier's character to literally have an actual character and not just be a prop. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's a film, by the way, that unfortunately returned very little at the box office. Yeah. But um, his point was made. Um, now, uh, the same day of this rumor around Sammy Davis Jr., Shirley MacLaine pulled a ligament during the Can-Can rehearsal. So she suffers for her art. Um, in July, we have Louis Jordan finally signing. At last, we can get <laughs> underway. Days later, we have Nelson Riddle confirmed for the pre-recording of the soundtrack. Nelson Riddle, by the way, Talked about before because he created the theme for a little show called Batman. 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 Can 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 can. <laughs> um, that is not one of the themes of Can Can, by the way. I wish it was. Well, we we can make it. <laughs> We've got microphones. We just need instruments. That's right. <laughs> um, and we need um, a, a musical sensibility that falls in line with Nelson Riddle to make that music come to life, which we don't. Um, now there's a report from August 12th that states that the filming finally commenced on August 3rd. Um, this is this is where things get interesting to say the least um on september 10th 1959 variety reports first live tv on film law okayed when khrushchev visits 20th oh yeah khrushchev communists are all over this episode today i don't know what the deal is I'm going to read the report as it stands. Live television cameras will enter the 20th Century Fox lot for the first time a week from Saturday with the way cleared for extensive live coverage of Soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev's tour of the studio. Coverage in all likelihood will be a pool of, ar- of arrangement, but will encompass the Soviet chief's entire visit to the lot, including his tour of the sound stages and his look-see at the production of Can Can during his visit. Can Can will be the only film shooting that day since it's a Saturday and crews will therefore be paid double time for their work. Um, now, let's stop for a second. There's backstory to this. <laughs> Khrushchev took a tour to America, and in that tour, one of the places he requested to go to was Disneyland. Uh, and the State Department said, no. <laughs> <laughs> Posting security concerns. Um, because if Khrushchev's walking around Disneyland and some American dad sees him, he's going to flip. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, the compromise was made uh, to take them to, tw- to a movie studio. And what movie studio would possibly be open to that? Well, 20th Century Fox might be open to it. What what year? This was 1959? This is 1959. And Spyro Skuros is, is, is in charge of the studio at this point, by the way. So it's funny that... You say American Dad might um, see him and punch him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a section of um, Disneyland at one point. It was called Holiday Land, and it was so almost like an open space park area. Uh-huh. But vendors sold beer. Really? Yeah. So there could have been an Amer- a drunk American Dad who would have seen Just- Khrushchev and been like. Commie bastard! Oh, Helen, this is great brew. Man, this really is the magic... Ca- is that... Is that Nikita Khrushchev? Boy, get me my gun. What's that, 
again? I said, give me my gun. <laughs> give me give me your fake Davy Crockett gun. <laughs> I'll show you who the real king of the yeah. frontier yeah. is, son. Anyway, I I, I think no, that's no, that, interesting. It's, it's but it's baffling to think about like because this this is a very noted American tour. I mean, PBS did a documentary about this tour for yeah. sake. Yeah. I did not realize that the compromise um was to take them to the 20th century lot. Uh, let alone that they'd be showing him scenes from Can Can of all things. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's 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 frankly because of the fact that we just talked about that Can Can is not really discussed in film circles. The biggest claim to fame that it has is that it was at the center of a very big tour by an international leader. Yeah, and on the fifteenth of of this year. Uh, Amy Artred's column has a little blurb that says, when asked if he'd attend the Khrushchev Can-Can caper at 20th Fox caper, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to rob Nikita Khrushchev. (laughs) 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 You're going to need 11 guys. Um, And uh, if he'd worked on Saturday for that tour, and Frank Sinatra said, sure, I invented the idea. Frankie Sullivan, world peace. <laughs> Where's my booze? Now, um, now days uh, they they go they do they go through the tour. Um, uh, the 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 tour seems to be a success. You know, there's there's a big presentation involved. McLean and um, I think it was McLean was trained by one of the crew members to greet Khrushchev in Russian. Um, and Sinatra put on his show and said, wing a ding ding, ring a ding ding, <laughs> bang a bang bang. And, um, uh, and the, it seemed like it went off without a hitch. However, <laughs> days after, uh, Khrushchev revealed his true thoughts, um, on, on the, uh, on the whole affair. When asked about what he thought of the filming of Can Can, he said, the face of mankind is prettier than its backside. The thing is immoral. We do not want that sort of <laughs> thing for the Russians, which in turn sets some backlash from yeah. the, from the I popular mean, he, press. He, yeah, he's basically calling it pornography. Yeah, he is. Uh, there's this uh, Thomas Pryor for Variety wrote, like, one thing is certain. Hollywood has never been at the origin of a production of such spectacular proportions, and chances are never will get a chance to do a remake. This was a moment in history which transcended anything ever experienced in the international relations. So it's a big deal yeah. at this time. But it might have cleared the air, too, for Khrushchev was all smiles again before leaving 20th Fox and and took part in an, enti- um, uh, an entire... Log, uh, monologue wherein he was happy was a happy observer during the filming of three sequences from Can Can, and in his formal public address Saturday night before replying to Mayor Polson, the Soviet base paid a glowing tribute to the motion picture as one of the most potent of the world's communication forces. Like Hitler, Mussolini, and Stalin, Khrushchev, it would appear, has a much keener appreciation of the power of motion picture than most American politicians and statesmen. What he's alluding to is is that his reaction might have been all for show. Yeah. In terms of what the USSR wants as a representation right, of its culture. Yeah. Um and there's also there's discussions of culture of like show business this comes from the 30th. Show business has its perspective on the just-ended Cook's tour of America by Nikita Khrushchev. Culture was the stipend uh, was the was the stepchild for these reasons. Number one, Hollywood muffled a chance to sell films as prestige as a prestige medium. 
it was ill-advised in the extreme to present a can-can uh, baby panty routine as its sample of the cinematic arts. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody at 20th Century Fox or the State Department seems to have had the foresight to know that Russians are quite puritanical and that Kay's reaction might have been anticipated. And number two, again, the same can-can number focused global attention on the issues of taste and morality, the constant cry of of you uh, of churchmen they that would not qualify as ideal public relations for the film industry however some hard-bitten showmen think of the whole can can episode as a new sensational type of trailer for a given film now i find that interesting because the film we're talking about talks about decency and morality yeah in theory <laughs> yeah it's a it's a set dressing in this movie yes so if we're going off of the hoity-toityness of film analysis and whatnot, no, Can Can is not fucking Werner Herzog or fucking Ingmar Bergman, but it is a representation of American culture and what it's most known for, even at its best and worst. Yeah, it's spectacle. It's sensational. Like I mean, we have never shied away from our strength in cinema being audaciousness spectacle and grandeur yeah whereas other countries have focused on a more internal mindset we're very external and so like i find it interesting that you have one critic like really laying into this where especially in the 50s cinema as it pertained to hollywood was only focused on this and it was a representation of the culture at this point is it it does it bode well for us I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. I guess that's in the eye of the beholder to a certain hmm. extent. Um, but um, the good news is, though, thanks to uh, due diligence by the crew, uh, this film was uh, able to cut its shooting schedule by 20% following the pickup of considerable time in filming of the musical numbers. So per August, uh, per October 15th, 1959, uh is reported that Can Can was able to wind up production by November fifth, uh, November thirteenth, and the budget that's listed is at six million dollars for the film. That's not a small chunk of change at the time. No, but they're able to wrap up pretty quickly mm-hmm. and get that film out pretty quickly. So, within that, we should jump into the world of Can Can. And um, Willix, <laughs> you brought this film to us, so it's your fault. Oh, <laughs> it's my no. fault. No, it's not. This is a great movie. We're going to get into it. <laughs> so um, we open up first. We have an overture uh, of the music yes. um, coming from Pol- Cole Porter, which as we talk about this film, we're going to be talking about the film. The Broadway show itself, there are deviations, which we can address some of them up front right now, which is, from all indication, Frank Sinatra's character isn't even in the original fucking it's show. It's made, made up for the movie. Yeah, they, yeah. And, and as we were talking about earlier, they didn't even try with a name. <laughs> or an accent. No, 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 no. <laughs> Everybody in, well, Shirley McLean and Frank Sinatra um, are French by way of Brooklyn. <laughs> That's right. Um, or De Bronx. Yeah. Le Bronx. Um, uh, whereas Maurice Chevalier and Louis Jordan and Juliette Prouse are all going out for... French accents or being French native, <laughs> so yeah. I, Juliet Prowse, I think, was South um, African, mm. right? Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit about her. She's actually born in Bombay, India. 
Oh, really? Um, but then she moved. They the uh, the family moves to South Africa, so she oh, lived in okay. South Africa. But she's born in Bombay, India. Finds herself in L.A. Um, as she began early in her in her early twenties, dancing in a club in Paris. So she had a grasp on world of uh, on world culture and the language. Yeah. Uh, and you know we we just talked about where Chevalier came from. So. Yeah. Uh, and Louis Jordan was born in Marseille. So yeah. it's really just Frankie and Shirley mucking it up with the accents here. But, I mean, they, they're like, we made it authentic. We got two authentic French guys yeah, in this they, movie. We got two. And, and, hey, Juliet. Juliet. She sang in Paris. Yeah. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Frankie just looks over at Juliet goes like, I don't care about that. Who is her? Yeah. <laughs> Who is her? Yeah, they were engaged uh, mm-hmm. for a little while, right? Yeah, they were, but then it got broken off. Yeah. And, I believe the next person Frank went to was Mia Farrow at that oh. point. I believe. I could okay. Be wrong. Um, I, I'm going off of trying to remember um, yeah. Frank's many loves. <laughs> Too many to count. Um, but yeah, no, we opened up though on Mormon uh, in 1895, I believe is what they say. Um, and uh, it's the only exterior we get in the movie. Um, it's the street scene. It's the street scenes. And yeah. you have. Uh, you, you have. Francois Dunay, Dunay, uh, and you have uh, Judge Paul Berrier, uh stomping through the streets, going "Moma, Moma." Something, something <laughs> in the, the French continue. Yeah, yeah, I wish Mo-ma. I knew the words. As much as I love this movie, <laughs> yeah, no, some of the some of the lyrics are non memorable. Yeah, there are other songs though that will never leave my heart. <laughs> we'll get to them. Um, and so they're just they're just mucking around the streets, hitting on random women like two bachelors on the town. <laughs> I wonder if this is like the beginning of because they recorded. I love Paris together. Mm-hmm. And they said there's a scene filmed for it. It didn't make it to the cut of the movie, but it made it onto the soundtrack. Yes. I wonder if they replaced the beginning of the movie um, with this song instead of I love Paris. I think so. It's, yeah. It seems like the most reasonable because maybe that scene also clarifies more about Frank's character. Because here's the thing. Because Frank's character is created for this out of whole cloth. Yeah. It's almost like if you're a fan of the musical, you might be wondering, what the fuck is Frank doing here? And yeah. who's Francois? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that the the answer you, you pose is correct. It must be because and like and again, we tr- I tried looking into like to see is there like a lawyer character? I couldn't find anything. Yeah. Broadway list Broadway database listings suggested that they're the closest you get is a a, a, a Bulgarian character who's actually the the boyfriend of Julia Prowse's character, Claudine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's so fucking strange. That's the closest thing. Yeah. The the closest possible to, to thing. Frank Sinatra's character. Yeah. yeah. The absolute closest. Because Claudine seems like she short drifted into a nothing part in this movie by comparison. Yeah. She gets a lot of exposure. She does a lot of dancing. Do, a lot of dancing. Yeah. And she's uh, there to be swooned and crooned by Frank she, Sinatra. She's, she's kind of the face of the dancing girls. She's, and, uh, and in the case of that sequence, she's what you call Le Bobby Saxer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, but they go in. Uh, they go into the Bal de Paradis, uh, where uh, it's a cabaret owned by Simone Pastiche. 
Um, pistache, sorry, not pastiche. Simon Pistache. Pistachio, uh, no. <laughs> Shirley MacLaine's character. Shirley MacLaine's character. Um, and they see a bit. We get our first big opening dance number, which have a lot of uh, a lot of dancers carrying laundry baskets and <laughs> uh, dancing about what it is to be a woman in Paris. Um, a maid. A, maid a, a, a maiden a, in a, Paris. A maiden in Paris, specifically. Yeah. Um, all raised in the convent and learned in the convent, don't you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, from there we get the introduction of Simone. Um, and, and Frank has a line specifically because, uh, Barriere asks like, is that Simone who was dancing just now? No, that's Claudine. I'm saving her for later. <laughs> for a rainy, rainy day. day. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> no. But then I'm like, but it's a Frank Sinatra movie. What was I, what was I expecting out yeah. of this? Yeah. Um, and so, we are thrust into uh, Simone as a character. She covets these uh, these expensive things out of Francois. He 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 gives her a diamond garter belt, a diamond encrusted garter belt. Uh, Francois spares no expense, you know, and, and he is, but he is only on the prowl for love, but not marriage. Which those things go together like a horse and carriage. <laughs> this I'll tell you, brother. Strike two. You can't have one without the other. <laughs> um, and uh, so uh, we are introduced to them, and we are told by Francois to Judge Barrier, like you are about to see the, the cam cam. <gasps> <laughs> Did you just say the forbidden words? <laughs> Talk about the can can for a second. <laughs> uh, it is a it is a folk dance as described by by the film and by historians and whatnot. But it was lascivious at a certain point, which means without panties. Yes, without. But, but the dancers did wear stockings. Yes. Yeah. Um. So it's it's lascivious to the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> right. Um. But uh. It, but and it uh. But there was a there there was a uh, risqueness about it. Um, and the way they describe the can-can here, or the way they film the can-can here is not as intimate yeah. as Moulin Rouge by John Huston. But you get a sample of it throughout the movie until you get the full form of it. Some, sometimes you almost see the characters' reactions to the dance. Mm-hmm. You know, where they're almost, they're shocked or surprised or, you know. Yeah, and like this, and keep in mind, like, when we're talking about this this uh this dance being banned, from what I can tell, there's no record of anybody being banned as some accounts claim, but the legend print the legend, as they say. Yeah. You kinda wanna believe that legend. Um like the the rumor is that the Moulin Rouge management didn't permit dancers to perform in revealing undergarments, which is connected to the dance in general. Yeah, yeah. Um so uh but it does become popular enough to where it's a staple of French culture when you think of France. It's one of the things you think of is the can can. It's sort of been romanticized. Yeah. Because uh, I in um um Laz Berman's Moulin Rouge, they have a they have a song called Can Can. Yeah. I, I think. Right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Believe so. Been a while since I've explored that, but yeah. I, I mean, I think that you know, in a way it's we're spoiled because in an age where <laughs> we have access <laughs> to everything on the internet lascivious, yeah. there is no the the can can is like the 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 least naughty of the least naughty. And yet the way they present it is 
it's with such fervor that you almost believe it. And the way they hold back on it. I actually like the choice of not showing the full can-can until the very end. Yeah. It kind of keeps you in suspense of just like, what the fuck's going to happen? Um, yeah. And especially if like if people are gathering their culture from cinema and television and whatnot, you know, conceivably, this could be the most lascivious thing they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, they might be on the on the edge of their seats going like, which... Nobody gets naked. Uh, The dance just starts, and then the place is immediately raided by the police. By the police, Um, and don't. But don't worry, Francois and Berrier uh, are able to disguise themselves as waiters and put bottles in front of their faces. Yeah, so they don't get arrested. Yeah, Simone is pissed, um, and it leads to the trial of the minute, (laughs) (laughs) uh, where we have Berrier. Uh, residing over it along with uh, two other fellow judges, one of them uh, being a newcomer to the on the scene. He's a young uh, upstart of a lawyer by Philippe Forestier. He's a he's a judge. He's a judge. Sorry, not judge, lawyer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Judges wear the red <laughs> uniforms. Yes. Whereas Francois, played by Frank Sinatra, he wears the black. Comes in the black robes. And yeah. the, the moment I saw those robes, because this was my first time watching this movie, by the way. I yeah. Point that out. Like, oh, okay. Um, not, not today, but. A couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, so having seen Frank Sinatra in other movies and perfecting the idea of what it is to wear a suit, to watch him coming out <laughs> in these robes yeah. was shocking to my system. <laughs> and the most that I could do was conjure up a... <laughs> Not because of the the garment. I I'm, I would never want to criticize the garment and his historical accuracy. silly hat? No, it's just Frank being in it. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And the hat does not do him any favors. He doesn't... I'm sorry to say this. I love Frank in this movie. He doesn't belong in this movie. (laughs) No, he he doesn't, really. Yeah, no, he... It's it's more... You know, and the reason my... I bet the reason my mom watched it is because, oh, this is a Frank Sinatra musical. Right. You know what I mean? And to be clear, just because we're saying that he doesn't belong in this movie doesn't mean I'd want him taken out of this movie specifically. Exactly. Yeah. It's really fun. This movie is a fun time. Yes. But objectively, Frank Sinatra should not be here. <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, like I'm trying to think of a, like a modern equivalent. Like, It'd be like saying, like, hey, put Frank Sinatra in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and see what comes out of that. (laughs) Doesn't belong there. Sounds of the Lambs? Probably not. Um, But but they go through the trial, and amid amid this, the the dancers themselves are put on trial, and they're they're read their charges, and they can't believe that they got they they did all of the things that they're saying they did, and they're so proud of you yeah, know yeah. having broken this this dumb law that nobody really believes in, except for the league of a uh, league against naughty dancing. Yeah, that's right. <sighs> filthy. It was a filthy. Fil- the league filthy. against filthy dancing. That's right. <laughs> um, this league has no bearing on the film whatsoever. <laughs> and yet, I wish they did. I do wish they were there throughout the entire movie, like protesting and whatnot. It's kind of like the um, the um, uh, uh, the the people who were um, the prohibitionist uh, movement. Uh, in Boardwalk Empire, at a certain point, the prohibitionist movement characters go away, and yeah. it just makes way for gangsters. <laughs> um, and um, so they are ready to pretty much dismiss this case because the prosecuting attorney is out sick, uh, there and there are no, no, there were no witnesses, and and only two of the arresting officers showed up. Yeah, which only they, they only come up because Philippe, Judge Philippe, goes. 
of the arresting officers here. And Frank goes, well, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And these two come in, but one of them is cursed with astigmatism in his eyes. Yeah. And the other one was outside. (laughs) (laughs) So case closed. It's the shortest trial in history. Um, uh, Like it's nothing more than a traffic ticket at this point. Um, but that really kind of ruffles Philippe's feathers because he's of he's of law and order, bum bum, and that's right. He um he he wants to uphold the standards, and he even goes to confront Francois about it, uh, who is reveling in his victory and getting a photograph taken by the an early, a late eighteen hundreds photographer who. Mm-hmm. If you know what that means, it means that there's explosive powders to provide that flash. That's right. Um, and uh, he comes into play later on in a way that I was marveling at earlier. <laughs> but um, he takes a photo with them, but they wiggle too much, so they have to reset it. And this is when Philippe comes up and confronts Francois, and Francois is trying to buy, you got to relax, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Philippe goes through the list of like, I know what you think I'm supposed to like, you know, like, like sh- wine through a woman's slipper, uh, the, the romantic tropes. Yeah. And this leads Frank into his first number, Say Magnifique. <laughs> Yeah, which is a good number for Frank. It's a very yeah. good number for Frank. Yeah, it originally isn't sung by Frank in the show um, because one that character didn't exist, but number two it was actually supposed to be Simone's character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the the way you know it's perfectly tailed for Sinatra is near the end of it. They go through a couple of di- different French phases uh, phrases to which one of the women responds with a phrase, and he replies back, "Ring a ding, ring ding, a ding, 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 ding." ding. Yeah. <laughs> Which was we all know was the famous expression that Charles de Gaulle said the moment that that he was able to uh, take back France. He said, "Ring a ding, 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 boys." <laughs> uh, uh, no, so uh, this compels Philippe even further into like, "All right, I'm gonna smash the shit out of this operation." Yeah, he devises a plan outside of the Paradis. Uh, when he gives the signal with a flower, that's when the raid's supposed to begin. He goes in and is he sticks out like a sore thumb immediately because Andre, the main maitre d of uh, the parody, points him points him out to Simone, and Simone's just like, ah, uh, he doesn't look like a detective. He's too square looking and stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to work on him, and through casual flirting and banter, uh, she. He makes a bet with her because this is one of the weird things about her character. And I think this is a a musical trope of like, we're kind of giving exposition in between what you really came to see, which is the musical numbers. She just basically lays out because she's very sure that this clearly can't be a detective. She's already made sure to confirm that. And she spills out the entire way she keeps the operation of the can can covered up in her, in her club. Um, Because she, he says, like, I am from a different part of France and I never, uh, I'm, I'm only here for a night and I really wish to see the can can. And yeah. she goes, You will see the can can. Yeah. <laughs> like, and she goes through, like, I paid off this person, that person, that person. This and cop they, and that cop. And, th- the only yeah. problem is when they change it over to a new district, like, or a new, uh, a, a new, um, uh, part of the police department is then when I get screwed. And she says she has a list and, <laughs> He goes, I bet you ten th- a thousand francs that you do not have that list. And she starts taking him up on the bed. And as she does, 
this uh, th- this gentleman dressed as a sailor, a French sailor, comes oh, up right. <laughs> and grabs her, pulls off her skirt, and tosses her out into the stage. And that's when you realize it's a musical number. But the immediate reaction is, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> His reaction is even worse because he gets pushed down first. Yeah. And then she he grabs the skirt off, and then you hear Shirley MacRae screaming, and we get this Apache dance. And... It is a dance that you see in films prior to this. Um, the featurette re- alluded to a Fox film that they could immediately reference, which was a Charlie Chan film, yeah. of all things. <laughs> uh, I, uh, those films will be talked about at some point because there's so much to fucking discuss. But long story short, though, these Apache dances are something of, of, of historical merit. They consist of this limbless kind of action and her being kind of tossed around like a rag doll. Yeah. And uh, and she's the, her, in the dance, she's slapped around. Mm-hmm. And um, there's lots of violence towards and yeah, towards the towards the men in the dance as well. Yeah. T- towards women and men. Uh, the, the troubling element really is of women in it because. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, it's not just one guy. A bunch of guys it's come like up. It's like five of them. They circle yeah. her with knives at one point, which the imagery is, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to expound too much on stuff. But this one, I'm serious. Like, if you find that triggering at all whatsoever, maybe skip through this part. So it's 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 like it's. In the dance, it's kind of like the female character is kind of flirting with all all the men in the dance, and then the men start fighting over her. But then they kind of turn on her, and it's like, oh, it's your fault that we're fighting. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, so it's like a bunch of it's like a bunch of MAGA weirdos on Twitter, fucking, but, <laughs> circling around one woman's statement on. Twitter. But the end of the dance is is quite satisfying if it, you it, if you want the woman to win. It's kind of like it's kind of like the crazy eighty eight standoff in Kill Bill Volume One for me because she's on the stairs at one. Point. Oh yeah. Knocking mm-hmm. the shit out of the yeah. crazy '88 gang, mm-hmm. um, uh, but the real star of this film is not Frank Sinatra. It's not Shirley MacLaine. It's the Shirley MacLaine dummy. <laughs> <laughs> so the way the setup is, I'll try to visualize this, but hopefully you watch the film so you've seen this prior to listening to this episode. You have Shirley MacLaine's character backed into a backroom curtain area that's adjacent to the stairway yeah and then the camera cuts away (laughs) uh and then the the edit point jumps to this dummy being tossed out that looks like shirley mclean's getup, and the sailors are tossing her around for i want to say about 15 seconds before they toss it back in there Mm -hmm. it's really short but the dummy is so it's it's in no way are you supposed to assume that this is that it's a that it's a person yeah it's it's literally revealed right after that she comes out of that area yeah but the intent of those movements is literally like it ceases being alarming and becomes marvel movie-esque madness (laughs) of like the hulk smashing loki around over his head in avengers Uh one like it, it is so darn hilarious to look at that dummy it doesn't take away of the violence towards women aspect of it yeah. at all. Like it, that stuff's so alarming. But when you see it, you're just like, oh come on. <laughs> yeah. Um. From for the dance purposes, though, it's interesting to watch how this show is performed. Um. 
and the sh- and the it, it ends with her stabbing the maiden male dancer. Yeah, she beats them all up. Yeah, she stabs that one with a retractable yeah. knife, which is kind of cool the way you watch the the knife go in and yeah. the blood that's clearly around the knife hits his shirt. It's really nice touch. Yeah. Um, and then right after that, he immediately goes into Louis Jordan going like, "You do this every night." <laughs> <laughs> As if nothing happened. Right, right. As if she didn't just go through the most harrowing musical number in film history. Right. <laughs> and um, she goes like, no, no, we're closed on Saturday, or on Sundays. <laughs> <But I'm, psh. laughs> um, and that's when Dean Martin comes out and goes, say that's right, Shirley. <laughs> um, and then it's just a Rat Pack show from then on. But no, she takes him up to her boudoir uh, to reveal the list so she can collect a quick thou. And, um, but... Juliet Prouse's character Claudine and another dancer notice that's the judge from that from first trial. Remember, say magnifique, ring a ding ding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> Remember, he's handsome, but he's a liar. <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, like the other dancers kind of like him, but Juliet Prouse Claudine goes like, no, no, I do not. <laughs> um, and uh, they, they tip off Andre, who tips off her. And then she goes into this kind of seduction routine to kind of fuck with him a little bit. Yeah. And we get this illusion. Like, she goes to changing. She goes, will you please go to close that window? But he can't get it closed because she said, no man I've ever known has been able to close that window. Now, remember, it could be important, except it won't be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, they embrace a little bit. And philippe gives this vague promise because he's sort of turned on by her yeah would you say like i i couldn't he get finds a, her charming absolutely he does but he also has to do his job yeah but he kind of alludes to and misleads her into but like they they kiss they do in that scene and he says i will not do anything to like i won't i won't stand in your way for anything like oh, that's kind yeah. of like the vague promise mm-hmm. this vague promise of like i'm not going to interfere I'm and, not gonna. I'm not gonna alert the, the yeah, police to the, the can can to dance. the police. Yeah. yeah, but it's misread by by Simone. Her, by Simone to which she responds was, "I got my first judge. <laughs> <laughs> if I collect enough of them, I get to go to Disneyland yeah, I get with a, with Khrushchev. I get a the eighth sub is free. The eighth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, yeah, the it's it's a punch card system apparently of corruption. Absolutely. Um, and they go about to do the can can, and at first Philippe hesitates, but then he has to go through with it, and he signals amongst others the officers, and the same photographer from Saint Magnifique, uh, who reveals that he's been hiding the camera next to his chair. Yeah. But he has been holding the entire time the flash the, the flash powder the flash powder in its little chimney sweep stand yeah <laughs> did he not think through well the, I, you know the inconspicuous nonness <laughs> maybe nobody i don't know like cuz he's in the front row and he's holding up the the flash powder yeah it's like it's almost like one has to wonder from a logic standpoint which again I don't want to go too far into this because it's a non-moment. But is the assumption of like, well, not everybody's going to realize that that's a flash powder thing. Yeah. Some phone might just think that the eccentric can carry around a metal stick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, a photo is flashed 
And the raid begins of the can Second raid. Yeah, the second raid. Uh, raid redemption. Raid um, redemption. <laughs> raid two. Um, and uh, the raid boogaloo. Raid boog- raid elect raid electric boogaloo. Raid harder. <laughs> <laughs> raid with a vengeance. Live free or raid hard. Raid returns. Raid. <laughs> Raid, raid Winter Soldier. Raid Age of Ultron. <laughs> raid Endgame. <laughs> that actually would be a good subtitle for a raid movie, Raid right? Endgame. Yeah. Endgame, yeah. I totally didn't know that. Endgame is a very good interchangeable title. It is. Um, now, uh, Game End is also a good title. Yeah. <laughs> Game End. <laughs> oh, that's in uh, the Saw bootleg that comes out of the Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie, that's right? right, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, Game End! <laughs> <laughs> it's from my movie Puzzle Piece Killer. <laughs> um, now uh, the uh, Simone is arrested. She hangs out in a jail cell, and in walks Francois, going like, "Say, you were dumb enough to get yourself arrested, huh?" <laughs> and hey, uh, Toots, hey, Toots, sweetheart. <laughs> oh my God, the amount of American phrases <laughs> coming out of Frank's mouth. Yeah, it it leads to a great joke near the end of the movie, but like, it's just so. It's so weird to watch him doing it. People give D- Dick Van Dyke shit for his Cockney accent in Mary Poppins. Yeah, I don't think it's as egregious as this. No. Where it's like this movie's supposed to take place in France. I mean, this is basically what they did with uh, Kevin Costner and Robin Hood, where it's just like, should I talk with the English accent? And like, no, just no, no. We're, we're just y- talk. You danced y- with wolves. You- now you a prince of thieves. <laughs> You should talk like Kevin Costner because Kevin Costner's famous. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Morgan Freeman, he's nothing as of now. Yeah, yeah. What do you think he's going to do? Narrate a Penguin documentary? Right. And that Rickman guy, he's only been in that one action movie. It's not like he's going to become a slightly evil but not evil wizard down the line. That's right. Yeah. And uh, insert other references to the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves <laughs> cast here. Um, but yeah, no, they go through what happened. And in the process, we also see that Francois gets a little jealous, but he's not really. His yeah. his loyalty to Simone evolves over time. At this point, he almost kind of lets it go because he's like, all right, right now I'm your lawyer, not your lover. Yeah. So you can kind of tell me what's going on, except I might give you a hard time about it. He His character at the beginning is very much a, uh, like a womanizer. He has several girlfriends and, mm-hmm. and yeah. whatever but well, yeah, he, we is, all know he's saving claudine for a rainy day that's right and this but this is the first time where he kind of yeah he shows kind of jealousy yeah and um but it, he's able to kind of push it past because he's aware like <gasps> she's gonna be on the hook for ten thousand francs if she does not come up with a way to get out of this and they start going through the routine of how uh how philippe kissed her and mold her as they are they're going for that defense yeah. um and uh i love this bit because they start on a close-up of like did he hold you and she pats herself and it cuts to a <laughs> yeah. wide shot of her and she kind of waits for a minute and she goes like you know i don't think he ever laid a hand on me <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like the statement so much it's like her timing like you can see mclean knowing when to hit that beat yeah. mm-hmm. it's really remarkable to watch mclean perform Anytime. Yeah. Like her her comedic ability. I love that people found a way to keep her working into as far into the two thousands as Bernie. Like she's just so incredible to watch. Yeah. She's still with us, by the way. Yeah. So if you're listening, Shirley McLean, come down to Willix's basement. And <laughs> 
That sounds a little weird. No, 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 no. <laughs> Come to this podcast studio yeah. <laughs> and talk with two nerds. Um, now, uh, it, now they they go through what they're going, their, what their defense is going to be. Um, and uh, meanwhile, we cut back to uh, Philippe's office. Um, or no, no, no. We go into uh, Barrier's office. No, we go to Philippe's office. No, this is Philippe's office. And yeah. Barrier, Barrier, Barrier comes, comes in. Office. Yes. Yeah. And Barrier comes in and he basically tells him, You got to relax. <laughs> You've got to relax. What? Why are you so upset? <laughs> it's a live and let live song. Right? Yes. And this is where we get the best song in the movie for my life. Live and let live. Live and let live. Sing and let's sing. Dance and let's dance. And remember this line. Your business is your business and my business is mine. The part the part you flipped out about though is what, what's uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Louis Jordan's line. Yeah, as okay, so the, the setup for it is that Chevalier starts into this song and you're starting to hear why Chevalier was that big hit that he was in the thirties. And he goes Jordan has already been inundated by two strong, by a strong musical number in Frank Sinatra, and he kind of yeah. just sits back in his chair after the first line of the lines of the song and goes like, "Sometimes I think all conversations ought to be sung. It's so hard to quarrel with a melody." Yeah, <laughs> listen carefully, and you'll find it's hard to argue with words. Drink and let drink, dress and let dress. Yes, but strip and let strip. <laughs> Fuck and let the fuck. <laughs> oh man! Oh, that'd be great if they just if he just kept going bone and let the bone. Be like, wait, wait, what did what did he say? <laughs> screw and let screw. Martha, we shouldn't have taken the children to see the cake. Yeah. Fuck and let fuck and remember this line. <laughs> your donkey is your donkey. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll get to a worse song in a minute, but but they go through the whole live and let live, and they there is this idea in the song about the who gets to arbitrate morality. I wish it was a stronger theme in the movie, but it sort of everyone flip flops so much. It does, yeah, because Barrier flip flops in a big fucking way. Yeah, um, but also I found it kind of tries to tie into the expectations of Simone versus the expectations of of Philippe um in a in a different world I feel like this show falls more in line with what Cole Porter would have wanted out of that kind of commentary on censorship yeah and it's funny because this is the year that Psycho comes out and really changes the game for the rating system going forward yeah um so there's a lot of changes happening in 1960 that really pushed the boundary the apartment not, mm-hmm. not, notwithstanding, um, it, within that the children's hour comes around this time too. Like there are films we talked about that fall into this category, and I was almost curious. Like if you were to remake this, I think you'd strip the subplot of the love subplot down to its needed essentials, yeah, and you'd be focusing on this thread more than anything else. So it's almost mm-hmm. like there are ideas that latch on into stronger value for other musical adaptations down the line. Um, <clears throat> I mean, like. It seems to me that this would have probably stood out more if it made a stronger statement than that. Yeah. But Fox's edict had always been, and I don't know if Spyroscurus fell into Zanuck's line of thinking, but Zanuck would always apparently impress upon them, like, we're not trying to be moral arbiters, but if the film comes out as a strong statement, then we've done our job. Yeah. So it's almost just like, don't intentionally do it. 
but do it. <laughs> I'm Zanuck. <laughs> do it now. If you don't, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> um, and um, and uh, maybe at some point I'll actually play an episode of Benny where Daryl of Zanuck is in the show. Oh, okay. He, he cameoed more than once. So did Sam Goldwyn. Um, but yeah, no, we get the conclusion of that. And Philippe has already said, like, now relax, you aged French singer. I have convinced... <laughs> Myself that I am going to he's let gonna, he's going to withdraw his com, his, his um, complaint and charges exactly. Yeah. And just as he does that, Simone enters, hugs him passionately, and and coaxes him into a kiss. To which that flashbulb comes out. At last, this photographer is sneaky. Yeah, uh, hands the photograph plate to Francois, and Francois is like, "I'm going to spread this out to every paper." And Philippe's like, "Well, you're not getting out of the building with it." And Frank Sinatra's like, "Oh yeah." Throws it out the window, <laughs> caught by someone. I don't know who. Yeah, <laughs> the the gall on him, and they go into this spiel about like, oh, like, you know, I, th- this is what Philippe did to me, and this is what I'm going to testify to in court. And everybody's like, are these two fucking high? <laughs> <laughs> and we get Philippe basically going like, you can both calm the fuck down. <laughs> yeah, I am going to withdraw my complaint because I realize that what I told you could have been misheard and misrepresented. Yeah. Um, and in a sense, he's kind of falling into legal, uh, his legal duty. Yeah. But I think the singing caught up with him because Francois leaves. Uh, Simone says goodbye rather nicely and says, I'll give you a kiss I mean this time. And that leaves Philippe going, oh, no. <laughs> Feelings. It's, it's happening. Feelings. Am I about to sing? <laughs> <laughs> It's like the howling, except yeah. <laughs> D. Wallace just sings. I brought you here to show you, you something. <laughs> when the blue of the night. <laughs> um, and that's when we get his kind of love profession. And uh, it coincides with a segment clearly devised for the film. Yeah. Of Francois and Simone. Well, for uh, Fran- uh of Francois is being fed grapes by uh, uh, Simone, which is one of those images from like, eh. <laughs> Boo. they're they're celebrating uh, Philippe dropping the case um, by treating Francois like a emperor. <laughs> yeah, but then uh, we go into the the next uh, song. Yeah, right? but but the context around it is that she wants to get married. And, and Francois is like, ho, 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 hum, no. He's just saying, let's just be in love. Yeah, let's just let's, be in love. And let's not complicate it. He uses legal tactics around it, too. He's just like, listen, I'm an attorney, so I see what happens with marriage. When you get married, suddenly you start seeing another woman, and you can't tell your wife about it, so you start lying, and the next thing <laughs> you know, you're divorced. And bam, that's why it's just easier to just be in love. Let's just do it. Let's fall in love. <laughs> We get a Cole Porter staple added into this movie. Yeah, yeah. So some songs were taken out and some were put in that were not in the original. Some were put in. And um, uh, for the for the listening audience, you'll get to hear a little selection of the song from the film itself. For for you and I, though, Willex, I'm going to recite some lyrics. Okay. And maybe I'll keep this in, too, because it might be fun to listen to us go through the dirtiness of this song. <laughs> um, now, granted, these are the lyrics that were listed off of the internet. I didn't write down, and I should have, the exact lyrics because it's turning out that there's stuff that's changed around. 
in the film version compared to what's listed as the lyrics. Um, and there are lyrics to talk about in there, but here's the ones that are listed as it stands now. Birds do it. Bees do it. Even educated fleas do it. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. And then we get in Spain, the best upper sets do it. Lithuanians and let's do it. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. The Dutch in old Amsterdam do it. Not to mention the Finns. Folks in Siam do it. Some Argentines without means do it. People say in Boston, even beans do it. Wait, hold on. Let's stop right there. <laughs> beans can't fuck. <laughs> that you know of. What, 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 what do you know that I don't? I, I know do- you're older than me, but... <laughs> Are you going to come out like Rutger Hauer? I've Listen, seen things. We, we need to have a conversation. Is okay. A, what, what, what happens when two beans fall in love? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, it's so raw. I know. But it's like what it's such a weird like allusion to like let's fall in love. Now here's the next ones. Romantic sponge, they say do it. Romantic sponges. So SpongeBob and I guess Sponges. Sponges, yes. Yeah. Another mm-hmm. SpongeBob or a SpongeBobette or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. They never really clarified whether or not SpongeBob right. or not. I am you could go either way with right. Bob. Uh, oysters down in Oyster Bay. Do it. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. Cold Cape Cod clams against their wish. Do it. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> what? Well, in the in the movie version, there's a couple of uh, yeah slurs in, yeah. in, in I, the movie version. I'm glad you brought that up, Mr. Willex. I want to present to you evidence to the court. Submitted for your approval, the song Let's Do It, Let's Fall in Love is written in 1928. And original lyrics Mm. in the song contained a slur against Chinese people and then up in Lapland, little laps do it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if that's one, but it sure sounds like one. Yeah, no, the 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 well, the c word I'm not even gonna say because yeah, I'm not yeah. even, and and I wouldn't even want to say the J one, but yeah, it, it's I I'm I'm trying to say it without saying it because I don't like these words. I don't like the way they present things. I know that people have this argument about it was of the times and whatnot, but I'm like these words were wrong no matter when. Yeah. Um. But in the the um. In the film version, we have the the line about Japanese doing it, yeah, mm-hmm. with the slur and the, the Siam, Siam and Siamese twins pushes that's, those boundaries too. Yeah, that's too. that's that's pretty close too. Isn't yeah, it? it's close to the punches. It's needless to say, Cole Porter had issues with this because so it can be this line. Those lines can be heard in several early recordings of the song made by the Dorsey Brothers, Rudy Valley, Paul Whiteman. And a version was sung by the singer and well-known star Mary Martin, who will be discussed on a Jack Benny discussion at some point. Yeah, um, Billy Holiday sang this in 1941, but CBS came up with less offensive lyrics for yeah. it, which then NBC adopted. And the line "Birds do it, bees do it" was seemed less offensive, so they yeah. traded the slur for a sexual innuendo that was more direct. Right. Um, so, like, it's it's very harsh language but it's not central to the movie's plot um i don't even think it's really representative of frank sinatra's political views by any stretch that i'm aware of. i have no idea we are talking about a man who backed up sammy davis jr in a world that wasn't backing up sammy yeah. davis jr um 
I'm fairly sure that Frank was an imperfect human being. Yeah. Um, that, we and, all are. And yeah, but uh, with him, <laughs> it's an understatement. Not, um, and he had his own his own issues. But I just, I can't imagine that, that, I think they literally saw this as, this is okay, this is not, this is not harming anybody. Yeah. It's similar to the Blake Edwards arguments and Mickey Rooney arguments for Breakfast at Tiffany's. We kind of just have to process it, but this language thankfully started disappearing from musicals, let alone that song by a certain point in history. Um, But I will go on, though, because there are other things that apparently do it. Electric eels, I might (laughs) add, do it, though it shocks them. Though it shocks them, I know. Why ask if I should do it? Waiter, bring me the Shadrow. And then in in shallow shows, English seals do it. English souls do it. Goldfish in the privacy of bowls do it. <laughs> and then in the movie, they have giraffes on slides do it. And yeah. I'm like, giraffes have sex slides, apparently, compared <laughs> yeah. to the sex swings that we p- present in our culture. Um, and it, they, it's it's the horniest fucking song I've ever heard in my fucking life, Alex. Um, and, I've, I've heard hornier. Okay. <laughs> Samantha Fox is such a wild dame. <laughs> What's my name? Samantha. Go, 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 go fish in the bowls. <laughs> uh, now, uh, but uh, it's actually funny. I was almost just like, did Kevin Smith watch this film before preparing oh. Clerks 2? And like, see, there's a lot of animal sex going on I need in a, here. I, I need wonder. a horny song, and I need, I need animal sex. Yeah, uh, let's see. It's between this Samantha Fox song or Let's Do It by Cole Porter. I think it's going to sound a lot funnier to watch Donkey Fucking to the Samantha Fuck song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so, but the number itself is well choreographed. Frank and Shirley are very wonderful to watch together. Yeah. Um, but this is basically an affirmation to like, let's just stay in partnership, but don't put a... Yeah. If we like it, then don't put a ring on it. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. And then we get... Uh, we get <clears throat> Philippe going bold and going forth to proclaim his love to Shirley in a scene that... Fr- Francois leaves. Francois leaves, yes. And Philippe shows up. Yeah, Philippe shows up. Oh, and by the way, Simone is going through business stuff, and she tears up a painting, a very nice... Oh, yeah. Please explain this to so, people, Willex. Um, at the beginning of the movie, when um, Sinatra and um, Maurice are singing the Montmartre song, they pass by... What well, looks to be like a woman and a ch- and a child mm-hmm. in like a suit, yeah. but the child is is carrying a painting. It's actually Toulouse Lautrec, the, the the famous painter. Yeah. And then later in this scene, um, Andre the Maitre D is saying, um, Toulouse Lautrec like traded a painting of of Simone in for ex- in exchange for food. Yes, exactly. And she tears up. <laughs> the painting she says i have a cellar full of this trash and so if you're you know it's sort of a sort of a wink to uh you know that's a that's a art lover that's a kelly's hero sequel that's a kelly's hero sequel oh yeah yeah no hear me out on this or this should have been maybe this should have been the plot to monuments man you get (laughs) you get a whole crew of guys together. You gotta need maybe a le- seven to eleven guys. What about what about a dozen? Uh, um, I don't know. Maybe thirteen. 
Because uh, okay. it seems like not everybody's going to appreciate the 12 guys, despite the fact that they're just as fine as the 11 and the 13. I mean, maybe 14 Yeah, total. 14 would be great. We may have to replace two of the crew members since they've passed, but we can get 14, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure all we right. can find. Got it. Um, by the way, I love all the Oceans movies. Fuck anybody who doesn't like all the Oceans movies. <laughs> um, eight is great. I, I, Sandra, I was trying my to, favorite I, Sandra Bullock movie. <laughs> I was trying to make a Dirty Dozen uh, uh, oh. reference. Yeah. I prefer In the Ocean rather than Dirty. <laughs> That'd be a good Dirty Dozen movie, though. That'd yep. be a good Dirty Dozen movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know uh, what's a good Dirty Dozen movie? The Dirty, dirty Dozen. dozen. <laughs> Which we can talk about on this show. Ooh, stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned. I'll Ooh. do it. Oh, yeah. dude, yeah. Already planned. But anyway, no. My point being is that you could do this kind of plot where you have them sifting through these paintings that were once seen as valueless and tossed in a cell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and then the, and you have to fight a bunch of Nazis to get through them because <laughs> you got to do that. It's, it's how movies are Because the Nazis made. are using the famous paintings for um, supernatural, like, cult uh, ceremony. Well, if they collect enough of them, they get the Tesseract, which then gives them the ability of the Norse gods. And oh, okay. And then Captain America will show up and say, I could do this all day. Yeah. And then we're thrust into billions of dollars of merchandise. <laughs> and... <laughs> and and from what some people say, the decline of cinema. Not me. Some people. <laughs> um, but uh, no, um, she turns up that pa- that that painting, and Philippe goes like, I, "I I I would you go out with me?" And she goes like, "I can. I got plans." He yeah. Goes, okay. Bye. And then he gets up his courage to do it again, and she this time goes into her boudoir. As she's about to undress. To take a bath. And she even says the line, like, I guess I wear less on stage, which is... Right. And she's, But she's being modest because she's in a, a personal space compared to on stage. And she kind of turns him down again nicely. And then he goes down the stairs and then he goes, no, third time's the charm. <laughs> uh, looking like Sean Connery, he apparently took Sean Connery's advice, which is 50 yos and no's and a yes means I think, yes. I think he's as hairy as Sean Connery, honestly. He you see a, his arms? He is as Whoa. hairy as Sean Connery, now yeah. that you mention it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do you think Sean Connery is actually Louis Jordan? Louis Jordan. Maybe he had a <laughs> vocal ability that we didn't appreciate. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you, you I could know. totally do a French accent. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. Say, let's go down to the foolish Berger. <laughs> Wee oui, wee oui, mon ami. <laughs> Will that work? <laughs> Can I be on your... No, I don't think so. I think you just got to go stick to working on money with Hitchcock. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. Um, now, he goes up there. He charges up there and goes like, I'm in love with you. That's the question. Yeah. Now, please reply. <laughs> yeah, he, he goes, I'm, I'm, I want to marry you. Yeah, he goes, I'm in love with you. I want to marry you. And she's just like, I... Pardon-moi. Must sit down. <laughs> uh, think this over. You, you, she, it's such a, it's such a fun scene from the perspective of the idyllicness that golden age Hollywood kind of purports. Yeah, this is like the stereotype that is bandied about of just like films in this time. They just asked him to marry him right away, and the love plot just cruises on through. As we've learned before, this doesn't always happen. Yeah, I I think I brought up to you like at one point when they kiss the you know the violin swirl in the score and and I asked you I'm like when did that stop? When do you think that stopped? And that's that's like I don't think there's a determinant like absolute answer because right. I feel after that discussion I started thinking like well 
How many how many rom coms in the '90s used similar cues, but not violin swirls, but just like certain melodies? It was like, their own thing. Yeah, yeah. like a piano, mm-hmm. like to indicate that like this love will go on and on yeah. or something like that. You know, like and no, I wasn't referencing Titanic. I mean, in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I really think that that approach to music, which it's coming from the orchestration of Nelson Riddle, yeah, like or not the orchestration, but like the 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 director, like he's the musical director on this yeah the music's by cole porter but he's orc orchestrating it for the studio uh my guess is that the moment you start entering in the new wave the people who are brought in to make the films for the studios who are now being acquired by companies and conglomerates yeah who don't know how to make a movie and then they get uh, some obscure filmmakers you've never heard of, um, Steven Spielberg, uh, <laughs> George Lucas, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Uh, Coppola, he's, he's a Mario character, I think. I don't know. Um, Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma, yes, Brian De Palma, and um, Martin Scorsese. Scorsese, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, and, uh, uh, but they get all these guys in, and they're just like, well, we don't want to make a movie like that. We want to make something that's challenging, and if the score is going to do anything, it's going to heighten tension rather than romance. Yeah. Or it'll be subtler. And then that subtlety is kind of carried into a corny mentality by the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Because there are, like, romantic films from the 70s that carry their own spin on that. Yeah. But it feels subtler. Mm-hmm. You know, like, think of The Graduate. The yeah. Graduate's not really swirling in this kind of music, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and but it but like Sound of Silence is a subtle thing to play underneath, whereas this violin swirl is indicating like ah oh, this this new blossoming love hello <laughs> like <laughs> that that kind of vibe. And I I think that that you see a transition point, but the ideas carry on. Yeah. And Nelson Riddle is uh, this isn't to denigrate what he did for Batman, but he's the guy who wrote the Batman theme. He's not really out to change the world per se. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of like, he's of his time. He provides a kind of nice jazz score, but he's not going to push any other boundary beyond that. Um, and we get her basically agreeing to the marriage. Francois comes back as Philippe is leaving. Um, and I made the comment that Sinatra always looks like he's too small for the hats he's wearing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe that's why, he, as you said, he tips him to the side. Maybe that's why he tips him to the I side. Think, I think those are, this is this might be wrong, but I think those are pork pie hats, and they're, the brim is just not as big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's the style. Yeah. And, you know, he inspired a whole generation of people like our friend Ryan Johnson to, 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 that's right. <laughs> to wear them, <laughs> drink PBR, and look sad. <laughs> um, by the way, former guest Ryan Johnson, that's not what we think of you. <laughs> that's the stereotype we laid into you. <laughs> I wore a pork pie hat in high school. I did too. So yeah. it's not like we, we're all hipsters at heart. Yeah. Deep down, we're all fucking right listening to our vinyl collection. <laughs> <Right. laughs> um but no he francois comes back and he's ready for their date he's ready for their date and she goes like what date yeah i've uh-huh. got plans yeah marriage plans <laughs> and the audience is going Woo! <laughs> and he goes now wait a minute and the audience goes ha 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 but no like he, he really starts kind of bearing his soul here yeah you start kind of seeing frank sinatra's range a little bit starting here like he's 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 feeling shot down yeah um he he even does that thing of like oh why are we fighting 
Yeah. You know, like uh-huh. trying to show that tender side. Mm-hmm. You really know he doesn't fully mean it because he's kind of having to learn what marriage is. Um, it's like love, and it goes together with a horse and carriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that kind of leads him into this rejection leads him into a drunken stupor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Philippe, uh, Philippe is visited. Well, well, we get the intermission at this point. Yes, we get mm-hmm. an intermission. So everybody out there in Ballyhoo land, get your snacks and your popcorn. And uh, meanwhile, like we'll talk about, like this. The, this first half is very much a big setup for the payoff. Obviously, is the and it's what I feel is weird is that I always feel it's weird that musicals feel the need to condense when they're made into movie form. Yeah, I almost feel like shouldn't your goal to be the capture as much of the show as possible. Right. And I mean, obviously there are changes that are going to be made and we'll talk about how those changes are influenced down the line later on. But the mentality of like capturing the show in its entirety, I guess makes sense in retrospect because we don't have a record of Broadway the way we do a record of film. Right. If Mm -hmm. you think it's hard to find certain copies of certain films, it's in, Darn near impossible to look at any footage of broad of Broadway during the twenties and thirties. You get some in the forties and fifties. It's not documented the same way. Right. We came close with um uh either I was I think it was the coconuts. There was an idea to literally just film the coconuts, or maybe it was Animal Crackers. One of the two Marx Brothers shows, they were almost just gonna bring cameras in there. The yeah. sound limitations prevented that. Um there is footage you can see of Bob Hope and Roberta, the the musical that really brought him to stardom and kind of pushed him out to Hollywood for radio and film. Yeah, and I I almost feel like the the detriment of this is that because this is the version of Can Can that was made into a film, this is going to be people's most people's record for it. Right. Unless you're really into theater and you can find a way to watch it being restaged, mm-hmm. which. Right. As as we look at later, doesn't happen that often by no. comparison. This and this play was a huge hit, so you'd mm-hmm. think a huge hit's going to get revived a bunch and a bunch, but not always the case. Yeah, there are some Broadway flops that get re- revived way more now than they were when they first per- were performed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we leave intermission and we come back, and uh, Berriere is coming in, and he. He's realizing that Philippe is in, is is distracted by something because he tr- he kind of gives him shit for being distracted in court, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And um, he uh, he f- realizes it further when he uh, Philippe tosses his pen behind his back, and um, he goes like you uh, you you know put out your cigarette. I put out my cigarette, and he looks down, and there's a cigarette that's already lit, and he hands it back to him, and. Philippe goes like, I'm in love. Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, that's great. With who? With Simone Pistache. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 well, no. He, well, he, he doesn't have that reaction until he says, I'm going to marry her. Oh, yeah, I'm going to marry yeah. her, yeah. yeah. And he's just kind of like, hold the fucking phone. Yeah. You're a respectable judge, and she's a cafe owner. And might I add, involved in... Illegal dancing, Dan- dancing, shaming, dance shaming, yeah. dance shaming. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's um, it's a much more melodic version of uh, of woman shaming in general. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, he 
really backs off of that wonderful number he did for us earlier. That's right. Yeah. Really backs into Hypocrite's Alley. Well, because now Philippe is singing it to him. Live, yes. Live and let live. In a great yeah. reprise. And yeah. he's just going like, live and let live. That's not what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Sing and let sing. You took it too literally. <laughs> <laughs> love and let love. You are too respectable. <laughs> um, and, and he really is just insisting like you are – and Philippe even tries to bring up examples of just like, what about this uh, this person who was able to get, uh, who was able to keep his position? Like he was elected, you were appointed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that there's a difference. And Philippe is like, I do not care. I am in love. Yeah. So suck at Chevalier. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Chevalier kind of like leaves the whole conversation distressed. He goes into, and I think this is another cafe, a uh, completely different one. Yeah. Um, um, Francois is in a different cafe because he's probably not welcome in Simone's cafe. No, he's probably just like, nope, now I've got a new job. Yeah. No longer a lawyer. I'm a stooge in a knife throwing act. Right. <laughs> Except he's not. He's still a lawyer. But he gets knives thrown at him. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, what seems like it could have been great fodder for an actual rat pack mm-hmm. <laughs> night at, at the Sands. And uh, he, uh, he he gets sat. He sits, uh, he sits down and barrier joins him and goes like you know i am really against this marriage and he goes you and me both brother ring a ding dong <laughs> sad dong and um it, they he he goes through a list of things he's thought of which were i've tried alcohol alcoholism rampant alcoholism murder suicide now i've just resolved to forgetting she ever existed and i'm like <laughs> man you just kind of dwindled down to least drastic All right yeah <laughs> usually it's the reverse <laughs> um but um and he goes like uh i may have an idea can you put together a little engagement party for them and like yes but i'm against this marriage and he goes so am i <laughs> and so the plan is set they're gonna need 11 guys to pull this off no they're not they're going to just get on this boat and have this engagement party and with all these high class uh, people of Paris. Highfalutin. Uh the, the the upper crusty set if you will. Yes. Um or as um uh, uh, uh Frank might have called them intelligent jerks. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh we get Simone and Philippe coming to their engagement party. And I'm not a fashion judge by any stretch. I have no sense of how to dress. I mean, look at me. Yeah. Look at me. <laughs> look at me. <laughs> the Joker. <laughs> Anytime I want to say look at me, it just goes right back to look at me. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Do it. Dress her. Dress her now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, uh, but I'm not a fashion critic, but the, the, the covering to her dress, which is a regular gorgeous, like golden red, yellow gown. It was full of like black feathers. Yeah, ruffles, ruffles, ruffles. Yes, (laughs) fluffles. Oh yeah, you know that new potato chip from Dito uh, Dito Lie. Yeah, fluffles from Dito Lie. (laughs) Also featuring cheese poofies. Yeah, (laughs) and our favorite one, Toritos. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's these 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 ruffle thing on the dress, which I felt like it was just a little too loud, if you will. Yeah. Um, like if the fashion police existed, I'd say call in a complaint on it. You know? Yeah. But but I'm not that kind of judge, so I'm not going to judge the costume designer in this film. But she gets it taken off eventually. But Francois comes over and basically liquors her up, and uh, basically 
he tells her to do this dance routine. Yeah, this dance routine to kind of impress them because she's nervous. She's she's engaged with a conversation with one of those, with two of those people, and she's just kind of trying to. She, she doesn't know what they're talking about. You know, like when people are talking about Game of Thrones and you don't want to sound like a jerk and say you've only seen the first season and stopped, but you also <laughs> don't want to necessarily have to comment on the rest of it. That kind of mentality. Yeah. And I'm projecting a little bit. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, she decides to do this dance number that uh, is rather racy and raucous and whatnot, um, which people in the featurette describe this as kind of like apparently critics found Cole Porter's arrangement of this to be kind of a low ebb for him oh huh i feel like the performance only works because shirley mclean's doing it yeah the only other actor that i think you could have do this might be marilyn maxwell as we talked about yeah Mm -hmm. marilyn maxwell could have pulled this off yeah um but if she's doing just to find a job of it and when she finishes the performance everybody's stunned but meanwhile philippe is just like bravo bravo (laughs) yeah and uh, she go, runs off embarrassed. And uh, like the first words out of her mouth as, uh, as Philippe comes to console her is like, I'll kill that Francois. Yeah. I'll kill him and I'll go to the guillotine a happy woman. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> I, I love that Shirley MacLaine is saying such funny things while portraying true sadness. Yeah. She's, just, she's so fucking great. She's fantastic <laughs> in this movie. Um, and... Uh, Philippe goes like, look, I don't give a fuck these assholes. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all upper elite bullshit artists. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're, they're, they're the ruling class and we, the commoners, must uprise. No, wait, no. <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> that's what got Chevalier in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, uh, but he goes like, no, just come on down with me. I'm sure everybody, like, I'm sure that, that nobody, I, I'm not going to care and you shouldn't care. Yeah. She mm-hmm. goes, And she goes like, all right, just give me a moment to freshen up. And she jumps out of the boat and yeah. swims to shore. Mm-hmm. Um, which, since it was my first time watching this movie a couple of days ago, I really thought the story was going towards a don't care what people think of you story. Oh, yeah. And I was proven wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like this is where the story kind of takes a curve that starts to go down for me a little bit. And I'm, I'm kind of curious how it you is, feel it. Is about weird, it is um, weird how the, like, the movie kind of shifts at this point. It's not in keeping. It's almost like whatever social class you belong to, you need to stay yeah, that that's sort of the message that they the the, the lesson of the movie is know your place, which is kind of so weird. And like, I'm not necessarily wanting to say considering Sinatra's in this movie, it's weird because Sinatra to me always represents kind of like going against the odds. Like this is a cat who was, you know, never really expected to become much of anybody. And yeah. skinny as a rail for most of his early career, people would make jokes about knocking him down flat. Yeah. He becomes basically the king of fucking show business before he dies. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still considered a king. Like, don't, we still call him the chairman. R- oh, okay. We you, still call him the chairman of the board. You call him that? I mean... <laughs> I'm just, I'm do, just teasing. Do, do you want to get haunted I, by Sinatra's ghost? I don't call him that. What do you call him? Old Blue Eyes. Old Blue Eyes oh, is another good uh, one. That's true. I've never. I don't think I've ever heard of the chairman. The, the chairman of the board. They, like that's they, mm. kind of like the 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 status he attained by a oh, certain okay. point later on in his life. Like that, yeah. you know. And I, I, but yes, Old Blue Eyes, Frankie. Uh, you know, there were there were names for him, and um, 
uh, you know, it's it's so strange that a movie that he's in is pushing the the mentality of stay in your place. I think I think the reason they do it is because Sinatra made them change the ending. But he doesn't. But what's funny is that he doesn't realize that's detrimental to what his what makes him so great. Yeah, but they probably weren't thinking about that. No, 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 no. You know no, what no, I mean? No. And they also weren't thinking like, oh, people aren't going to look too deeply into this movie. No, no, no. They, they, they weren't thinking like, look, some fucking jerks in Colorado are going to make fun of this movie years later <laughs> yeah. for our ending. And we need to beat them to the fucking punch. <laughs> Not going to let those future fucks ruin our picture. Right. <laughs> and its legacy. Um, now, uh, but no, because the turn that starts happening is she basically dumps him over a letter. Um, and she relays a very sweet sentiment, which is because she gives back the jewelry that he the gave The engagement her, ring. The engagement yeah. ring and says, this is the only jewelry I've ever returned to a man. Yeah. Um, and Chevalier is with Philippe as he receives the letter and reads it out loud. Um, and uh, Philippe is still distraught and Chevalier goes into a song about basically like, it's just a fling in your life, bro. You just got to like <laughs> let that girl go and yeah. uh, go the plenty of other fish in the sea. Um, and it's basically a song called It's Just One of Those Things. Yeah. One of those crazy, silly fucking things. <laughs> uh, it's a good song, but you said yeah. this wasn't in the version that you uh, saw as a kid. No, it wasn't on the TV version that I had and also wasn't on the VHS, like the official VHS that I had. You know what's funny? It wasn't in the original musical either. <laughs> it's nowhere to be found anywhere yeah. until today. Um, yeah, it was one of two songs incorporated to or added to for Chevalier's sake because... Let's face it, you know, we've made jokes about of Chevalier and the stereotype of the French accent that he's perpetrated into pop culture to this day. Yeah. So much so that I'm doing it. And again, I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody, but <laughs> you get Chevalier, you have him fucking sing because that's what yeah. he's known for. Mm -hmm. No yeah. way he's going to just play that speaking part like that, especially at this time in his career. He wants yeah. to show off. It's it's his it's his Jolson comeback period. If you right, know. Mm -hmm. let him live a little. And I I think that the songs fit well for yeah. the movie, mm -hmm. more or less. Like it certainly is divine inspiration to give him the the uh, the live and let live song. Right. Like it's a great, mm -hmm. great song for him. This one's just as good. A little short. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, one of those things like a night, uh, like a love affair on Gossamer Wings. Like the lyrics that just sound beautiful in his fucking mouth. Coming yeah, out, you yeah. Know? Mm -hmm. um, and we are led into uh, the... Uh, the 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 crux of a big con that's about to occur. Yeah, uh, because Francois is dealing with lawyer business, uh, barely looking at his law book because he gets cut off. Yeah. <laughs> so I think Fran Sinatra is just like, look, I can only understand one page of this. So <laughs> the rest of it may just want to be just shut before I go into the scene. Yeah. And uh, he gets a call from oh, he gets a call from Claudine who, as we set up earlier. Kind of has a thing, kind of has a thing for Francois. And mm -hmm. Francois has a thing for her. When Francois gets dumped by Simone, he goes down to the bar and pours a drink, and in walks Claudine, and we get and we get a song. Um, uh, the song is, sorry, I was trying to remember the name of the song. Uh, uh, 
uh, it's all right with me. Yeah. Um, which is very much a song about like, you, you know, you're not you, the woman that I love, but you might as well do. Yeah. Right. Like amid heartbreak. It's not, mm-hmm. not, not like it's rebound. It's a rebound song. And, and then after he's done singing, he, he leaves without yeah. Claudine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like, um, I love Claudine's line. Like you say such beautiful words, but you never have do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> and the way she delivers it is just so like. It's trenched with goodness. I love it. Yeah, She's queen yeah. the movie. Yeah. But yeah, Claudine tips her off, tips him off and says like, yeah, uh, Simone's on her way and I think she's going to fucking kill you. Yeah. I heard mention of a gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and my brain was just like, oh, I'd love it if it turned into this kind of weird farce. <laughs> uh, so he hides in a closet, says like, I'm out of the country. Yeah. Mine, sweetheart, whatever. Yeah. She, uh, she comes in, throws up in the curtain and he goes, don't shoot. Um, oh, uh, oh, uh, don't shoot! Yeah, uh, like uh, I get, like, and she, she calms him down and goes like, "It's uh, not loaded." Oh, it's not loaded. <laughs> <laughs> and she and, and she goes like, "I thought about killing you, but then I realized I no." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't want to go to prison for reals, <laughs> right? Um, but I have been contacted by the arts committee to put on the grand ball for this year, um, and I need. I think it's 15,000 francs, she said. Yeah. Uh mm-hmm. to uh to put on the ball and she's and he's pretty much willing to write a check and she goes like no 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 I want to do this business like cuz I'm a business lady and this yeah. is a business transaction and so no funny business from you. Yeah. And, uh and so she basically signs over the deed to the ownership of the Paradis to him. Yeah. as the collateral. And she leaves on the note of uh, he he goes like I'm sorry if I caused you any pain and she goes like that's okay I want you to feel sorry <laughs> and he seems to take this as well say I've got a shot again yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there's so a chance so you're saying there's a chance <laughs> <laughs> and we get the arts ball being performed at the parody uh, and we start with. Simone announcing like our first selection for this grand ball is going to be the st- a ballet about the story of Adam and Eve. Why Adam and Eve? Uh, you may ask, because we want to state the fact that while uh, uh, sin was not born in Paris, it merely flourished here. We perfected it. <laughs> per- perfected it here. Yeah. And then we get a scene that is so beautifully choreographed and insane in retrospect um and must have been very boundary pushing at the time that it came out of this ballet of adam and eve where all the costumes of animals look like they came off of the set of that alice in wonderland movie from the 30s that carrie grant's in it could have been a a wind in the willows thing too yeah it could have been a wind in the willows thing like some school production made Mm -hmm. these creepy you know those images on facebook of like easter in 1945 and the bunny looks like it's going to kill the child yeah (laughs) it's like that combined with a bunch of donnie darko rabbits (laughs) uh and these birds this toad that looks way too fucking realistic in design uh and we get the ballet of adam and eve now it's very locked off, as is most of the musical sequences in this film. And here's a question that I have for you. A comparison I brought up earlier was John Huston's Moulin Rouge, where he's getting very intimate with his shots on yeah. the dance sequences, specifically the can-can. In the, and I wonder, does this locked-off nature deteriorate the enjoyment for you? Because to me, it doesn't. No, not it doesn't. 
I think that there is a common thread in film discussion when it comes to movie musicals about people who let this stuff slide and people who get vitriolic or passionate about it and go like, well, it's a movie, so you need to move the camera around to make innovative shots. And <laughs> yeah. And like, and I, we'll talk about an example later that I'll bring up as like an example of why we need to back off of that. Because this, I want to see this ballet because as somebody who wants to see a record of what Broadway was like, I want to see the ballet unfold the way I would see it on right. stage. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's cinema at its finest, but it is a form of cinema and it is right. a form of presentation that had its bearings as far back as the dawn of sound itself earliest musicals that won a Best Picture Oscar were locked off shots. Yeah. Jack Benny's first movie, which is basically a musical review, is all locked off shots and some special effect shops and close-ups, but yeah. I've said before, it's different. Mm-hmm. The musical sequences themselves are locked off. There's no like innovation of the camera. Mm-hmm. Like Robert Flory gets pretty damn close to innovating it with the coconuts yeah. because he has like Dutch angle shots and like going up from the ground up. Uh, this one is just very static, but we see Shirley MacLaine in her full force dancing this ballet. Yeah. Juliette Prouse, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, a ballet dancer playing Adam, who I thought looked way too much like Charlton Heston in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> he did kind of, yeah. yeah. He, it's just, it, the curls are a little too accentuated, uh-huh. but my, my point remains. Um, and, uh, it's a very sexy dance. It's a very yeah. sexy dance. The moment the app, the flashing apple is great. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> touch. Uh, the moment the the apple comes down, that the 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 really the things I think of Nelson Riddle for come out here in his orchestration of Cole Porter's music. Yeah, because that thing is toe tapping and beat smashing. Like this thing is fucking dope. I love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And her movement is moving to the notes and the instruments of the song. Like it's, yeah. I love it. I love every inch of this number. Yeah. Um, and even the snake gets into joining on the dancing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They have a menage a trois on stage of sorts. <laughs> um, and, uh, the ballet ends and, uh, Francois and, uh, Barry are watching it and they go, bravo, six, bravo. <laughs> yay for sex. Uh, yay for sin. And, uh, uh, goes into her dressing room and in there is Philippe. Oh, that's do, right. Yeah, doing a mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra impression. That's right, and it's a pretty good impression, if you ask me. He does everything from sweetheart to listen, kid. Yeah, to that puppy, uh, that cat's trying to go back to the pawn shop. Oh, I love it. He, says, he literally holds up a cat and just says the line, "I brought you a cat." Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I, I love that. I want that a gif. I want a gif of him going like, "I brought you a cat." Um, and uh, he's trying to impress her with this smooth talk operator. Because he thinks that's what she wants. Yeah, but she doesn't want that. What she wants is a man who can close a window. And he goes to get the cat because she thinks it's disappeared. And he gets it out of the window and he shuts the window. And she's like, <gasps> <laughs> you close that window. That's right. Get on my bed. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. It's like her reaction. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a callback. Um, unfortunately, what's about to follow in, in the next couple of scenes doesn't really matter much. It makes this matter less because, uh, so he leaves because she goes like, I just need a few more minutes. I'm going to wrap this sucker up. And she, uh, Francois walks in on this and 
Francois is kind of trying to lay into like congratulations and hey maybe we'll hook up later and yeah. here I got you another diamond garter and she goes oh it's so beautiful I'm gonna have you arrested uh, <laughs> yeah yeah what <laughs> she goes yeah arrested in about thirty seconds uh, and she explains like because you. Uh, have the deed to the property now. Yeah. I'm going to have him perform the can-can. And when Andre gets the signal to do the can-can, this whole thing is going to be raided because I set up the raid with the police. <laughs> You're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, to humiliate Francois even further, he tries to uh, stop it by... Uh, uh, but then she pushes him down. I yeah. think, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. it correctly, she pushes yeah. him down and he tips over a love lounge. Yeah. And uh, he goes like, help <laughs> i do like humble frankie yeah <laughs> he's really good um and we get we don't get the can cam right away we just get a cutaway to frankie behind bars yeah uh waiting for his trial yeah and we get these the trial of the hour because <laughs> it's a little longer than the trial of the minute yeah um and uh he represents himself in court Philippe makes a little crack going like, you know, they say an attorney who uh, represents himself has a fool for a client. And he goes like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know the reverse of that. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he, uh, Barrier has recused himself so that he could testify. He's going to be a character witness. Yeah. So he's basically, he's removed himself from the proceedings so that he can testify. And I thought, oh, this is going to be the moment where Barrier goes, you know, he's a great guy. But fuck him. <laughs> and instead, he just backs him up. And I'm like, yeah. oh, boo, you're just keeping the establishment in order. You can tear it down. It's 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 basically the the end game for Sinatra's character. Yes, exactly. Part, part of it, yeah. Yeah, and that's when Maurice Chevalier says, I am Maurice Chevalier, and he snaps his finger. <laughs> the world gets reset. And disappears. Yeah, no, yeah he, he disappears because he himself was Iron Man and Thanos at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you were alluding to Frank Sinatra being Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that I am inevitable, <laughs> baby. I uh, know. And then they call Simone to the stand. And this is where we get the cop out for the love plot because he's interrogating her about the deed transfer. Yeah. And he goes like, suppose this fellow was so in love that he was willing to hand over a check and do anything for her. Yeah. But she said, no, no, I want collateral. And so he did it because he was so blinded. Yeah. By love. (laughs) By love. And uh, this gives Simone the reaction of, I I lost the deed. I don't have it. I'm sorry. Yeah. And this is where we get the cop-out ending of where she's not going to end up with Philippe. And they even indicated on Philippe's face, too. I'm like, no, yeah. this isn't mm-hmm. going to happen. So they move for dismissal of the case. And then the League of Naughty Dancers representative gets up and goes, I say I have not been in this movie for about two hours. <laughs> I demand an answer to the question of the cancer that is this can-can. And Chevalier goes like, well, ladies and gentlemen, why don't we retire over to the, the paradis? And uh, see the sex. I mean, the dance. Yeah, he uh, asks her if she's ever seen it. Yeah, have and you she, ever seen the And she says, absolutely not. Yeah, and she goes like, well, you know. 
how do you, it's like green egg, green eggs and ham logic. How do you know you don't like it if you haven't tried it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the uh, so they take him to see the can can, and that's when we get the can can in full form. We can see the full thing for the first time instead of hearing it start. And it's, the, and yeah. it's a little more dynamic than uh, the ballet. Mm-hmm. They cut away. There's a lot of coverage. It's nice and long too. It's a nice long scene. Mm-hmm. Pretty, it's, it's enjoyable. Yeah. Which um, we watched it in the the proverbial back cave. So it's a bit in the screen fit just right. That's to right. Capture a wide scope of it. Yep. And you know, obviously, we're not in the fucking Cinerama dome. Yeah. But we are seeing what the impact was supposed to be. Yeah. And I did get this sense of grandeur. I'm like, wow, I'm at a night at the theater. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is fun. Yeah. And the, the the climax of it, like the way they shoot them all doing the splits, the wee, yeah, wee, yeah, wee, yeah. Wee. <laughs> <laughs> wee. Like it, it's really, it's a really nice touch in the soundtrack. Just hear the wee, yeah. wee. Um, and as the dance is going on, the old lady from the League of Naughty Dancing, Against Naughty Dancing is like, ooh. Oh, she's starting. She's huh? getting into it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they finish it up, and it's uh, Juliet Prouse and Shirley MacLaine doing this can can, and uh, they are cutting away to a lot of backup dancers and uh, supporting dancers. In it, yeah, but they're they're pulling a lot of their own heavy work. Oh it. yeah, uh huh. And it ends, and uh, I think it is it. Barrier, I believe it was Barrier who asked, like, now that you've seen the can, do, do you want to ban it? Do you want to ban it? And she goes, ban it. I want to learn it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I wrote a comment about this at the when I when I was first watching the movie about twenty minutes in. I said like, so it's kind of like the movie Footloose, except <laughs> uh, except it's uh, seems to have a, a a more cohesive plot. Yeah. Let's see what happens with this. Turns out it doesn't really go down that route and then becomes about as loose as Footloose in yeah, the last five yeah. minutes. Um, and uh, then uh, we get its triumph. Everybody's happy. Everybody, she, uh, uh, Old lady's going to learn how to sexy dance. Maybe Chevalier will help her out. Who knows? He is a pretty army, a- amorous lover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, after all, our business is our business and his business is it's her. His. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and then she gets called out by the police. Uh, Simone gets called out by the police because she's, they're like, you need to please come with us so we don't make a scene. She's like, all right, but remember this dance was lingo boys. Yeah. And uh, she goes outside and they throw her immediately in a paddy wagon. <laughs> yeah. And inside the paddy wagon is Francois. And it basically amounts to him going like, look, I arranged this whole paddy wagon scheme to tell you what I love you. And to point out the fact that when you needed help, you cried out for my name. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. when she's going in at first and she doesn't see him, she calls out for Francois. Yeah. And he goes like, I love you, Simone. I love you so much. I'm willing to make it legal. And she goes, I say, what? Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't really say marriage. He says, I want to make it legal. Yeah. And, I, and then we get her embracing him and oh francois and, and the the paddy wagon goes, goes off and uh and we're ending on the chorus of i love paris and so yeah we actually do hear i love paris yeah we hear a little bit of i love paris before the film ends the end of frank sinatra production of a frank sinatra idea of how to end this frank sinatra movie <laughs> yeah yeah the, the ending let's talk a minute about it um do you know do you think in your heart of hearts this movie would excel better if Frank Sinatra's whims hadn't have been succumbed to, <laughs> yeah, I I think um I think the movie would have been better overall if 
Simone did end up with um, Philippe. Philippe, you know, and like if everyone's kind of attitudes have been turned like, oh, it doesn't matter, you yeah, know, because because like, like the league against filthy dancing is like, oh, this is low class, you know what I mean, and mm-hmm. that's sort of what the high society people think of. Of Simone, Simone general, when she does yeah. that dance, you know what I mean? But it, but like, so it's kind of funny. Like, the League of Filth, you know, the League Against Filthy Dancing, they like have like a change of character near the end, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah, but they, they, they have the they have the John Lithgow reaction, which yeah. is like, dancing is allowed again. Well, it's it's just so weird when when Maurice Chevalier's character is just like, you can't marry Simone, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> he likes Simone. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like you respect her. Why can't you know a, a judge marry her? But do you do you know like you're you're bringing up a point that's that's getting better the more the more and more it gets expounded upon. You think of this idea of like on this show we talk a lot about how minorities and women are treated in films, and and in a lot of cases people of different classes. Mm-hmm. And here is an here's the potential for a strong story about it doesn't matter where you come from. It matters right. just you being you, no matter who you are. Yeah. It's a, it's a statement that could serve as a strong, uh, positive message for all kinds of ales. And I'm not trying to get on a moral soapbox. My point is, is that the ideas and the themes are so strong that it's unfortunate that because of the ending we have, those ideas are placeholders for scenes yeah and and honestly i you know when they were making this they were probably not thinking that we were like people like you and me are going to get into it like on, yeah. a, on a deep level and they're like we're just making a fun musical yeah no you know and by no means should they I, there's a part of me that has to forgive them for this because i'm like you know, for all due respect, it's not really their job, especially at this point in 1960, to be worrying about a political or social statement. Yeah. They need to worry about surviving because television's kicking their ass. Yeah. I mean, thank God there's no such thing as streaming. Like, I mean, if, oh, that, yeah. if that existed, imagine. <laughs> God, thank God we don't live in that world, Lily. Like, so you yeah. still have plenty of VHSs, right? Um. <laughs> He yes, turned, ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience, he turned to look at his, his, his at the corner of his shelf to be like, "Yes, yes, <laughs> I do." Yeah, but no, like they have bigger things to worry about from a business standpoint. Yeah, and also there is an artistic set that's coming out of this era that's making their own strides in their own way that's going to be influential in about ten years. Yeah, so like it's it's fine. I don't fault them for it. Yeah. But let's put aside the like thematic ideals for a second. I think just on general grounds, there is no reason to give Francois a victory at the end of this movie. No, not not really. I, you do see him have sort of a couple of times where he has a change of heart, you know, or maybe he thinks, oh, maybe the lifestyle I live is not. Yeah ideal and maybe i do want something more you know what i mean yeah he he has moments and i think that's a testament to sinatra the actor yeah remove sinatra the personality like here's a reason he won that oscar for from here to eternity he's fucking yeah. good yeah mm-hmm. he, he can portray emotion watch the man with the golden arm if yeah. you want to see frank sinatra at his seediest yeah watch that movie that's okay. a movie that i'm shocked got made when it did. <laughs> um and he and we have this 
impression of him from other musicals like High Society and yeah. Acres Away. But we don't have the reality of Frank Sinatra's acting abilities is that if he wants to show emotion, he will. But the production of this film and even Ocean's Eleven indicate that there's a certain point where he's just kind of like done when he's done. Like he doesn't want to do more than one take. Yeah. He's kind of like Clint Eastwood in that respect. When he's directing, he's just like, I don't do more than one. It's yeah. done after that. Right. You know, and it, it that to me is is sad because if Sinatra had, I don't want to say given more of a shit, but if he had just committed and like put oh, down his ego mm-hmm. for two seconds, yeah, imagine what kind of power he could have held to tell great stories under his banner. Yeah. And instead you get kind of like, the straightforward mentality that I unfortunately ascribe to a lot of 80s action heroes that are still working today. Yeah. Where, like, nobody wants to be the bad guy in an Expendables movie, really. Like, nobody's willing to do it. Like, Schwarzenegger's not going to be the bad guy. Right. Stallone's not going to be the bad guy, certainly not. Right. He won't go down that road. Um, You know, Vin Diesel has kind of stepped away from playing a bad guy with the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah. And that's not 80s, but my point, I think, is remaining a little valid. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Bruce Willis won't play a fucking villain. Yeah. Um, You know, like, and I know he's, you know, undergoing health concerns, but, like, up until a certain point, he's still playing the cop. He's playing the John McClane character every fucking time. every time. Most because there's still a mentality of, I want to win at the end. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a mentality that actors still possess. I find it strange. That's also just an attitude for that people are taught or adopt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they perceive things in their life that they don't like. Therefore, I need to win. I mean, if you look at – now, this has nothing to do with film. But, like, why are all the popular video games nowadays, like, modern-day warfare shooters? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And the And the only way – like everyone has to be the best at it, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's a competition that yeah that our culture specifically in this country has always possessed. And I, I, you know, I, I don't have fun with those games just because when I get, I mean, yeah, I get beat, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, um, I know. but then, but then your nose gets rubbed in it. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's just it, it's this mentality of I have to keep my the perception of my manhood intact. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a comment on masculinity and what it's supposedly is supposed to be. Yeah. In a certain respect. And like, I, 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 I find it sad that both cinema and the gaming world undergo this eternally. Cause like video games are an art. They're not an art I engage in on a regular basis, but I respect the shit out of them. Yeah. And it sucks to me that, there's a toxicity around that culture. Yeah. And the idea of I'm going to win at if, the end of it. If you want to if you want to see like a disgusting film <laughs> with this whole they idea They wouldn't let us make that film, Willix. <laughs> this this idea of um you know, men have to be men type thing. My buddy had me watch a movie um, and it was from the director of FDR, American Badass. Ah, yeah. Um, which I like FDR, American Badass. Yeah, it's, it's a fun. It's film. a silly movie. It's uh, very Gar- ridiculous. Garrett Bra Braywith. Garrett Braywith, who y- you probably know as the. Oh no no no! I'm thinking of Ross Patterson. Okay, 
Yeah, Ross Patterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, direct, which he had a he was the bully in the new guy uh, with DJ Qualls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also in FDR American Badass. Yeah, I think he wrote it. Mm. Anyway, but there's this movie that he made with actual Marine veterans, uh-huh. U.S. Marine veterans called Range Fifteen, uh-huh. and it's kind of a gross movie, mm. um, because it's I don't know if you there's this thing where Marines will, you know, there's the well, Marines will be Marines, you know, and they're like, they're crass and they're sexist and they're, they say racist things. Not, you know, it's yeah. just, uh, and like the treatment <laughs> of women and minorities in that film is it's like, it's, it's like, that's what they want to do. It's also a zombie movie. So, wow. yeah, it's just like the movie is like, I'm watching the movie. I'm like, okay, this is dumb, you know? Yeah. And then I get to the end and they just shoot a female character for no reason. Cause she's dumb. So it, I, I, that, that's when I, when I saw that, I was like, okay, like, what are you guys trying to say here? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's almost like the Marines are like, let's just do something that we think is cool. You know what I yeah. mean? And then, uh, because there's like one of the the main star is he got you famous on youtube for something i I forget what but i was just like okay this 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 made me feel gross you know what i mean just this guy displaying his his whole i'm a man you know what i mean thing it's just on and i was just like great i wasted an evening that's that well you know you know frankly like but it's i mean it's it, it may seem like it doesn't have the same connectivity towards the ending of the film we're discussing, but right. arguably not no no I, because I, it is. I feel like Sinatra had this thing where he's like, "Well, I have to end up with the yeah, I have to end up with the girl. I've got to get the girl because I'm Sinatra." And that kind of toxicity has unfortunately seeped into a lot of modern day filmmaking and film yeah. theology. Mm-hmm. Um. Or film theology, film fil, uh, film technique, that yeah. behavior extends. And Frank Sinatra is, <clears throat> I find him a complicated figure because he's a revolutionary figure in music. I, I I think in in the case of this movie, it was just it's ego, it's, it's ego it's, and star power. It's ego yeah. and star power. It was just like, hey, I got I you know, sorry, I gotta I gotta end up with the girl. Yeah, you know? but it but it but it's a descendant of the toxic behavior that extends. But it's but it's funny because like throughout the movie, you see him with like groups of women. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, what what what's better that you end up with the like one woman or that you would end up with the group of women? Well, I, my I, mama I, told me you could fool around but settle down at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you know but but i mean like why like why would he if if this whole thing is about masculinity why wouldn't he stay the the single swinging you know i argue lawyer oddly enough you're you're right i thought that that would have been an um, an ending more towards his strength like if like if like if you saw philippe and like right before you like the philippe and um Simone kissing at the end. You know, yeah. you saw Francois right. walking off with with all these girls, or like yeah. with Claudine and the whole troop. Yeah, you know, like it's like it's weird because the ending serves to perpetrate stuff that continued on about like I've got to win. Yeah, to to placate an actor's ego, but oddly enough, if he had stuck to a story's needs, he would have carried on 
his personality traits and his shtick <laughs> into what people would expect. Yeah, I th- I think it I think the ending is weird. Yeah, and yeah. it's and it's strange because it's almost like the code is demanding he redeem, but it's also like well the code wouldn't let him end up with her anyway. Yeah. So you can tell that the 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 board is on shaky ground at this point if they're allowing her to just walk off with the shyster. Yeah. Rather than this respectable turned loose judge yeah so like i think that i don't think it takes away from the enjoyment of the film i will gladly rewatch. oh i don't either yeah it's a two hour and 20 minute movie that moves at a clip with the exception of the overture and the intermission yeah it moves at a clip like this movie does not stop Mm -hmm. but i do feel that like in in its in terms of its legacy it becomes a problem because if you want people to remember this, it would be better to have a story that says something rather than doesn't. I would say for those people, like the songs are very good. Yes, the songs are very good. <laughs> Just it's it, pretty to look at too. Yeah, watch it for the songs and the set decoration, and, and, and that's fine. And here's an argument: even though we talked about the plot problems in the characters, these characters are fun to watch. Yeah, Francois is fun to watch. He doesn't mm-hmm. belong in this movie, but he's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Simone and Shirley MacLaine, it's a fun character. Yeah. Philippe is a fun character, watching him kind of unwind and be Mr. Meta before mm-hmm. Scream existed. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think all films should be referencing other horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I, I, it's so hard to follow anybody unless they're stabbed by a guy in a Michael Myers mask. <laughs> yeah, like something right. like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and Maurice Chevalier. If you need an example of why Chevalier was as popular as he was, this is a just as good an example as others. Yeah. Gigi's probably better, but you know, it's still an example that yeah. exists. Yeah. Um now the content let's get to the reception of the film. Because our old friend Bosley Crowther is here. <laughs> and you know what? He might be on our side this time. Oh, okay. I don't know. Uh, he lamented the film's deviations from the musical play. He said the music has been reduced to snatches. Mm. Uh, and he also said that the performances in the script were terrible. He said the story is also downright foolish pastiche. Cut to Frank Sinatra and Miss McLean, who look about as logical in Paris of 1890s as they would look on Russian hockey teams. (laughs) He, as a nonchalant lawyer, and she, as the owner of a cabaret that is frequently being raided because they do the can-can there, behave under Walter Lang's direction as if they were companions in a Hoboken bar, (laughs) slightly intoxicated and garrulous with gags. The experience of watching and listening to two such people would probably be about as amusing as watching and listening to Mr. Sinatra and Miss McLean. I kind of have to agree with him, kind of. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, just have fun, Bosley. Just stop. Just. I think that's my problem with most critics. Yeah. I don't like this part of your show because I don't give a fuck what I the know. critics think. I know. Um, it's I, important, though, to talk about the reception of it because... I, I, I understand, but, but that seems to be what people gravitate towards. How much money did it make? How was it received? It's like, I, I don't care. Did you did you have fun? <laughs> did you have fun? That is the important question, which is it, we, is we it can re- answer right now. Is we it, had fun. Is it rewatchable for you? Because that's yeah. that in my mind, that's what makes a good a good film. Exactly. From the historical standpoint of presenting these figures. But that's but that's what America yeah. wants to cares about. You know what I mean? Exactly. So. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. They but, want 
They want Roger Ebert's edicts on yeah. Night of the Living Dead to succeed. And, and, it's and not, we won't let it. <laughs> and it's not like I disagree with critics 100% of the time. And I, I agree with, you know, like what, what you just read. It's like, no, he's right, you know. It's a it's an objective viewpoint, but he's also, yeah. we know why he's saying what he's saying. Yeah, exactly. Cri- critique and how it, it, it forms the legacy of these films. Yeah. Because that's the re- main focus of it is that like, you could have a negative review for Rear Window. Well, Rear Window sh- proved you wrong. Like, you yeah. know, or uh, Buck Benny Rides Again. They could have glowing reviews. Nobody will give a shit out of it because nobody knows who Jack Benny is. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's interesting to read them in order to consider, well, what has persisted as legacy? What, what has stayed the same? What yeah. is in our lexicon? Yeah. Can Can is arguably not in our lexicon. It should be. Yeah. It's a good example of musical adaptation gone wrong. <laughs> But at the same time, it didn't. Slight, slightly off course. It's, it's a you could say the view was askew. Yeah. Now this is why I want to talk about the box office though, because this film was listed by Variety as among the highest grossing films of 1960, with estimates of rentals to be around 10 million, based on the three million that 70 millimeter roadshow showings from t- to December 1960. And seven million estimated from future thirty-five millimeter showings. They were estimating, yeah, box office projections. And this was a roadshow tour. Yeah, um, it was. Um, you know, Quentin Tarantino got out there and kept saying how it was great to watch Can Can in seventy millimeter. Yeah, he got four extra minutes of film. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, uh, roadshow engagements are, you know, typical of this era, especially for a big spectacle like this. However, though the the expected future rentals were not achieved. <laughs> And it uh they they brought down the rental revised the rental revised is about four two four point two million that following year yeah so it's a good chunk of change short of a six million dollar budget yeah uh even though they wrapped up on time and kept within budget it's really on down to a matter of interest now it was nominated for two Academy Awards for costume design and original music score. Um, which is interesting considering that a lot of the music in it is previous scores by Cole yeah. Porter. So it falls into that weird category of like, well, did Ennio Morricone deserve that Oscar for the hateful <laughs> eight? And my answer is yes, <laughs> but <laughs> because you didn't do it the first 35 fucking times. Um, but it also was nominated for best motion picture musical at the golden globes. And it won a Grammy for best motion picture soundtrack. Oh, there you go. It's very interesting yeah. that, that the Grammys are an interesting organization. Yeah. Um, but as far as legacy is concerned, let's talk about musical adaptations. Um, there's a period in the 2000s where we were inundated with musical adaptations. Like mm-hmm. Broadway had a very strong resurgence, uh, thanks in part mm-hmm. to a, uh, a certain gentleman named Melvin Kaminsky. Um, he goes under the name Brooks. Have you heard of him, Melvin Brooks? You ever no. heard of this guy? No. Oh, he made a movie about saddles that were blazing. Uh, he made about mm. a Frankenstein that was young. Sounds boring. It just, you, know, not, you know, I think it sounds like a man who changed comedy forever. <laughs> uh, he, his show, The Producers, really brought bad Broadway back to resurgence. Yeah. But musical adaptations into film really took a boost with Chicago. And since then, we've been inundated with adaptations of the greatest Broadway hit or films or Broadway shows that never got adapted into film. Yeah. Uh, adaptations take left or right turns. I'll bring up the producer's remake as an example of this. That film gets criticized for having a flat presentation uh, where Susan Stroman, the director, uh, purportedly just kind of placed the camera there and did nothing to really 
change it up. Yeah. And when you watch it side by side with the producers, the film, visually it's sort of uneven because there are more innovative things going on in the 68 version. But I could not get into the producer's stage show. Mm-hmm. And it's not playing anymore. I'd like to see a close approximation of what it looked like on stage because that's where it was presented on yeah. stage. And also we have a movie version of the producers. It won an Oscar for best screenplay. Yeah. So can can in terms of its visual acumen, I'm not going to beat it to death with a barley stick on that one. Man. Yeah. Like it's, it's there because that's what people, like people wanted the Broadway experience. If you couldn't afford a Broadway ticket and you could only afford a movie ticket. Yeah. An adage that still exists to this day. Yeah, I kind of want to see what it looked like on stage. Yeah. Um, consequently, you know, like other films managed to kind of learn of the mistakes from Can Can from a visual acumen and become more dynamic. Like Mamma Mia is a very dynamic looking movie. Mm-hmm. Chicago is very intricate with its camera work and changing yeah. stuff up. Uh, Cats did something. I don't know what, because I still haven't seen Cats. Cat buttholes. Yes, it did. It, it innovated cat buttholes. So that one cat that Philippe held up inspired an entire musical filled with buttholes. That's right. Um, but no, like adaptations of musicals also always get short shrift for changing the show too much or I, changing stuff. I think it's just, it's it's a slightly different medium. Yeah. Um, I think it's the same argument that people say when people say the book was better. It's just a different medium. Yeah. It's going to be presented in a different way. It's going to be adapted slightly differently. You can't do an exact no adaptation. Um, and nor should you try to. And and who's to say that movie musicals doesn't get somebody into theater musicals? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And who cares if uh, all you like is movie musicals, then so be it. You get you know, there's something you enjoy. You've got a you've got a fun fucking genre yeah. to sift through so, for years. What is the problem? There's no problem. Oh, the, okay. The problem is <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert, there never was a problem. Okay. Um, and Bruce Willis was a ghost the entire time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, no, the, there, there's never been a problem. This all comes down to subjectivity. You know, if you want a stage show, go to a stage show. Exactly. I know that the theaters of of, of stage productions really need your money right now because there was a virus around. Oh, there was a, there was a pandemic around. Yeah. That uh, uh, nearly killed it. So you need to keep supporting it if I'm, you want to see it. I mean, I went and saw uh, Hamilton. Lucky. And um, no, I hate you. We are going to talk about how much I, tried, I hate you now. I tried. <laughs> I tried to I tried watching the Disney Plus version, uh-huh. you know, and I was like, "Ah, eh, it's just not the same." But I'm sure if I were to like listen to the songs on the radio, you know, that would kind of take me back. And maybe one day I'll just be like, "Oh, let's yeah, we're going to watch Hamilton." Okay, cool. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and like for me the producer's cast album uh does that does the job for it nicely. Yeah. Like even if I I can imagine the insanity on stage. Yeah. There's small film clips of the production mm-hmm. and it's uh preview stages. Yeah. Um, but also, you brought up a point about movie musicals inspiring people to get into theater. I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if Little Shop of Horrors inspired more than a few people to get yeah. into the musical stage because they look at that puppet and go, "Well, say that's innovative." And then they find out, "Well, our high school is going to do Little Shop of Horrors, and we're going to make an actual puppet." Shoot, I went in on that. Yeah, uh-huh. I did that very thing, and like yeah. that, 
I love musical theater. I got more into film, but I love musical theater. I'll watch a stage show. Yeah. And like that, it helps you respect another medium to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Yes, it's not the same, but then again, it's a different experience. It's a different medium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you yep. if you can afford to see a local musical being put on in your area, yeah. Go. Go. Treat yourself to a night if you can afford it responsibly. Um or if you just want to see that on a film, the That's theaters are too. technically still here. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> uh or they're on Disney Plus, wherever you can find them. Uh as far as the legacy of Can Can though, I think it I think it shows a lot about cuz it's easy to talk about the sound of music or the King and I and all the very influential ones talking about a typical musical of the era, just like one that doesn't have any importance surrounding it. We can be a little bit more honest about how it draws illusions to the day to today. And the result the honest answer is not every music musical movie you get is a classic, right? Some of them are just there to entertain you even for a minute. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. if it turns into your favorite film, great. Cool. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I loved this movie. Yeah. And I want to thank you for bringing this movie to the show because... You're welcome. I don't know if I would have had any other... Apart from maybe investigating Sinatra's filmography entirely, I don't know if I'd have another reason to watch the film. Oh, yeah. Or Shirley MacLaine, I guess, too. Yeah. But like Chevalier, he's not necessarily an interest of mine. But now, especially looking into his background, I'm curious as shit about his whole career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like like just crushing your finger in a mattress factory? Like that's an origin story. Top that, Batman. <laughs> it's like Tony Iommi with Black Sabbath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. And hey, what a way to bring it out then on a musical note. Especially Black Sabbath. <laughs> uh, and uh, on that note, Mr. Willix, is there anything else you want to bring up about Can Can? <laughs> no. Here's a, here's a real question for you. Can, can you do the can, can, can you do the can, can, can? I cannot. I can watch it real oh, good. Yeah. That's about you, it. Yeah. You know what? You can watch it anytime you want on DVD streaming. <sighs> that's right. Hopefully maybe some, maybe some, maybe some Alamo will listen to this episode and go like, say, can, can. <laughs> I, I really, <laughs> I really doubt it. No. Yeah. There, there would have to be someone who's trying to do a series like either, Cole Porter or uh, or Sinatra. Sinatra or Shirley MacLaine or something like yeah, that. They'd have you know to go I mean? for the really obscure title. They'd have to be like, all right, we're going to watch this one. And, no. you know, whoever's whoever's programming the evening is like, it's not great, but, you know, it's ne- like, you shut up. Never. <laughs> you shut up. You're, you're stupid. Uh, <laughs> never lose hope, though, because Hitchcock series get done by the landmark a lot. Uh, the uh, artists and they showed Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is hmm. not not a that's not a hitchcock title and people know off the top of their head at all um or um but like and then the same breath they showed north by northwest and a lot of it has to do with what can we get access to yeah but regardless though thank you for bringing this film to us because i'm glad i'm glad i saw it makes me want to explore more cole porter chevalier Mm -hmm. um it's a real treat to have this kind of discussion and to finally let our let our our, our our musical souls fly on this show. That's right. <laughs> um, really quickly, uh, remind people where they can follow you if they want to hear more of your film watching adventures. <laughs> well, it's it's not really listening to much. Um, I have an Instagram called at Colorado and all I do, <laughs> all I do, is post pictures of the title screens from the movies I watch in your really nice home theater setup. In my really nice home theater. DIY home theater setup. Yep. 
And additionally, you can be found on previous Ballyhoo episodes talking That's right. about Casablanca, um, Rio Rita, Dracula, Drake, Dracula, Dracula, Dracula. It's a that's a modern pop version of Dracula, right? <laughs> With Drake yeah. is Dracula. Yeah. Um, yes, no Dracula. Yes, and we will have you back. You brought up the Dirty Dozen. That might be a chalk, or we bring you back for some Bud and Lou. Yeah, well, there's another one we got to watch. In fact, you know, yes, we got lost in a harem, and the Ballyboo will be coming back in October. How would you feel oh, about the Ballyboo? Yeah, oh, the I, was, I was like, why are you crying? Because <laughs> <laughs> the Ballyboo's canceled. <laughs> we don't have enough money to make it. <laughs> no, um, what I meant was the Ballyboo, our horror series, will be returning in October, and I think maybe Abbott and Costello need to meet. Um, who can they meet? Um, could they meet a Frankenstein? Um, I think we should watch one. I think it's like uh, they could meet a Frankenstein, but that's the one everyone goes to. Could they possibly meet Invisible Man? Yes. Yeah. They could and yeah. they could also meet a killer named Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. That's what. That's yeah. One, I, yeah. That's our. That's one. Uh, one of our previous guests, Kev Moore, really loves that one. Oh, like, nice. That's your favorite, really <laughs> interesting. Um, but no, yeah, we're going to get you back on. Okay. You're eternally welcome on this show. Um, and that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. You can find out more about us on the back half of the show. Uh, coming up, um, uh, there's a couple of shows in the works. Uh, an Irene Dunn double bill with Ryan Frost is uh, is going to be happening. And we will be having Walden Hughes from Yesterday USA on board to talk about Lux Radio Theater in a radio review. We're going to talk about... Lux Radio Theater, its importance in the radio landscape, and we're going to be talking about a star that we lost recently, one Gloria McMillan, in the process. So stick around for that. Um, additionally, if you want to check out more film discussions, please go to YBR Presents to listen to our our Tour de Tati series, uh, where Sterling Cook and I are looking through the works of Jacques Tati. And if you wanted to talk about uh, some talk about Mel Brooks, uh, please listen to Surrounded by Assholes, The Life and Legacy of Mel Brooks, starring myself, Andrew Saunders, and Tyler Maybe, where we're going through the career of one Mel Brooks. So stick around for that. But until all of that, and until next time, folks, good night. And remember, your business is your business, and my business is mine. Your business is your business and mine. This concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballyhoo Review and on Instagram at Ballyhoo Review Pod. Our theme was composed by Matty Ghost. Be sure to check out more of his music on Twitch. Our announcer was Henry Jarvis. Look for him on the Real Nerds podcast. This is Zach signing off. Stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification. Oh,